0: <laughs>
1: I don't want to waste all my jizz on this portion of the of the conversation, but like, yeah, you
2: know, yeah, you're I'm, not you're not getting any younger, Greg. You yeah, can't exactly. recover from that uh, as quickly as you used to. Exactly. Take it from me. <laughs> ask me how I know. <laughs>
0: Maiden
3: A to Z in it. All right. Well, hello and welcome to Maiden A to Z. My name is Eric, and with me as always is my co-host Jonathan. We also have uh, this is a uh, I'd say a sort of a special episode. We have many guests here. Maybe you can introduce them uh, since you you have a more a firmer grasp on what's going on than I do,
4: frankly. All right. I said it's as American as a, an 18 wheeler convoy today. <laughs> uh, we, we're all American today. And uh, because, you know, we're handling an American band as well, uh, I've been talking about doing uh, offshoots because, you know, you can't always talk about our maiden, I think, even on a podcast named Maiden A to Z. And uh, I'll introduce John Motola first from the Purple Podcast uh, on our network. And uh, we actually talked about doing a kiss thing for my old show a while back. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this. And um, then I figured, why not, you know, top up the team, make it an all-star group. We got Chris L. in from Pot of Thunder as well.
2: Thank you. Glad to be here.
4: Good to have you. And of course, Greg, a familiar voice.
1: It's Buffalo time. <laughs> it's, it's Buffalo, Buffalo time. time. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, gentlemen. Good to be back. Always good to be back. It's been a while, is not it? Uh, it's, it's been probably, uh, a minute or two, but you know, yeah. we're making, making up for lost time.
4: Right on. And, um, we're a little bit more experimental today because, you know, obviously not following our format. So let's, you know, let's experiment together and see where we can, you know, where we end up. Um, mm-hmm. going to start off with, um, a little bit of live after death talk because we are on L. So that's, you know, in our intenniary, but, uh, we have three major KISS fans here and uh, I wanted to do a. Dive into that, but I think it's, it's, you know, relevant enough to be the first offshoot in this show. Because mm-hmm. uh, like the first time, uh, for example, the first time anyone saw Iron Maiden here in Sweden, it was in support of KISS.
2: I didn't know that. I Iron mean,
4: Maiden are huge hmm. in Sweden, and so are KISS. Uh, I told um, Chris, you know, before the mics went hot, that um, I think we got three or four Swedish spoken KISS podcasts. They're a big deal, or like I, you know, like I say, they're quite a deal.
2: Quite a deal. deal. Yeah. Quite a deal. How do you say read my body in uh, Swedish?
4: Read my Interesting,
2: body? Interest
4: in that, yeah. Uh, so it's actually reading the, the physical body or the the body language? Or it's,
2: uh, it's reading the body like a book, if you listen to the lyrics. yeah. Get to the good stuff is the... Uh,
5: I like
4: I like to do ad hoc uh, translations. but Nobody needs tough. to
5: know how to say that in any language. So <laughs> i are all like I feel set. Like, yeah.
3: That's not really a phrase uh, commonly used in, in Swedish. It would be just quite literally reading a body. Uh, but, uh, so I guess the only translation would kind of be I mean, just doing a straight, straight up, straight up, would be like, well, "Last minute up." That sounds ridiculous.
4: Last <laughs>
2: minute <laughs> 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 It can't be any more ridiculous in the source material. So Actually, <laughs> in, in
4: the last, in the last episode True. of uh, of Chris's show, "Pot of Thunder," your um, your um, well, the, I guess the host, I would say, uh, you're all three hosts, but uh, Andy said, uh, like, whatever whatever ridiculous language they speak in Norway, or something like that.
2: Yeah, that sounds like something he would say. Sounds like something I would say, too, quite frankly. You're right, yeah.
4: I, 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 it's an oasis of, uh, I don't know, cultural <laughs> ignorance. I like it a lot.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. We're, we, we, we hang our hats on our ignorance, uh, cultural and otherwise. What a great tagline for the
1: show. Pot of Thunder, an oasis of cultural ignorance.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm stealing that. I'm <laughs> yeah. commandeering that immediately. Oh, that is beautiful. That <laughs> an oasis of cultural ignorance. I mean, it's yes. like. That's that's bumper sticker land. Yeah, right this there. Yeah, uh, this guy's. Jeez, keep drinking, Johnny. If, if, if that's <laughs> if that if that's what's bringing this these pearls of uh, of uh, brilliance out of you, have have another one. Man. That's absolutely a, a brilliant line. I mean, that's, yeah, that's, that's that's entering the pot, lexicon <laughs> immediately. The, the voices of cultural ignorance. That's awesome
4: right after a good start, i guess yeah, absolutely,
1: yeah. but I guess to get back to to segue back to what you had said initially, I think that this the, the two topics at hand are perfectly uh i think they dovetail nicely because as uh, John and discussed with you before, um, there really is like a uh there's a, there's a torch passing between like the end of the kiss era. And the beginning mm-hmm. of the Maiden era, and it's right on that tour, that Adam Mass tour, where they first made like that's like literally they were on the up, Maiden was on the up, and Kiss was, you know, kind of hitting a down period at that point. So I think that this is if anyone out there thinks this, I guess, uh, collaborative topic is is weird, I think it's less weird than that for sure. I think it's I think it's perfectly logical actually.
4: Squeeze in a Kiss question, even though we're doing Live to Death first, but I could squeeze mm-hmm. in. How's the arc been of that band? Have they had down periods like Maiden in the 90s or several down periods, you know, Mm -hmm. sort of just to get an overall feel of the band? When did they actually start? I don't know that either. 70s must be right.
2: First album was 73 or 74. Mm -hmm. Late 73, I believe.
1: You could argue that their down period, I mean, they kind of had spikes within the down period, but you could argue that their down period was like from. 80 to 96. You could, I mean, you could make that argument. I mean, they had some, they had some, some high times within that down period, but really, they were not. I mean, their peak, Chris, you could probably or anyone really was their peak. What 78? Their initial peak, yeah, 77, 78. The Love Gun um, yeah. tour. Um, and they kind of had some peak. They kind of had some blips with probably look it up and animalize, but I mean, there was
2: you know some downtimes the thing is they were they were really <clears throat> really in the dumper with uh, unmasked followed by the elder, the elder. which was their attempted at a concept album which is right, abject the, the disaster I, i'm familiar
4: with the yeah. it seems like a hot topic that one
2: And then they followed that with an incredible album, Creatures of the Night. But Mm -hmm. people still weren't having it, so that's when they decided to take the makeup off, which was a huge deal. And uh, you know that got them some more traction throughout the '80s. And you know, I, I I would say that they were actually on a a bit of an upswing in the '80s, progressively through the decade, and then you know another great album revenge was largely ignored and then they decided to put the makeup back on every time they went into the dumped dumper they made a opposite decision with the makeup
5: yeah
2: yeah and uh got back on track and you know been doing their thing ever since it's weird with kiss that
1: considering how they've been really they've they've been so over the top as far as like their commerciality and as far as their accessibility really with just any sort of way you can plaster their name on it. arguably like the times you could say where they were just most on point as far as like them being as a band, just putting out solid rock and roll was that they're their lowest. You could argue that their first three records are fucking mm-hmm. classic rock and roll, but no one cared about them at that point. They put out three records in, like, a year and a half, and no one gave a shit. And then they took off after Alive, and then they had their down period. They put out Creatures of the Night and Lick It Up, and really kind of no one... I mean, the, the lack of makeup kind of spiked their popularity for another minute again. But, like, those are records... I mean, it was a blip on the radar compared to what they were in the late 70s, especially Creatures of the Night. No one gave a shit. They tell stories how Paul Stanley says he was flicking picks into the crowd, and they were fucking landing... In empty spaces, because there were so yeah. few people at the, at the fucking shows. And then and then even further back, like Chris said, Revenge, which, I mean, you could argue that being in the top three of KISS albums. I, I would put it in my top three, I think, of KISS records. And that record smokes. And mm-hmm. that record, just no one gave a shit. No one gave a yeah. shit. No one gave a shit. So, <laughs> so many people gave so few shits that they that they created a record that essentially got shelved and them putting the original lineup back together, gave them enough traction to release a shelved album. Yeah. Right? That's the carnival of souls, right? Yeah. You know, like that right, was a record yeah. that the label put on the fucking shelf cause there was just no traction for that band anymore until yeah. they slapped the paint back on, you know, and got the guys back. But
4: my preconceived yeah. notion is that they've always been doing well financially. Is that correct or uh, no?
2: Eighties got a little dicey for them, I think.
5: Those down periods you guys were talking about, uh, when I was when I listened when I first listened to them, I didn't know I didn't know any of this until recently because I came in at the Revenge period and they, that was my first concert, and I thought that they were huge. I thought it was great, and it was years later they're like. The album didn't sell well. The tour was the, I think it was even gross less than Creatures. And I was like, wow, really? Because I thought when I was like 16, 17, I thought it was like spectacular. But when you find out the reality, like it wasn't commercially successful at all. It was just diehard successful, I think.
4: You get some surprises. We've been surprised. I've been mm-hmm. surprised with Iron Maiden how, how how few tickets they sold in like in their heyday in the eighties mm. uh, over here in Sweden, as compared to what they've done in the, in the reunion era. And I was gonna say too when we got when we have new guests, normally we get the Iron Maiden story, the backstory. But normally we got Iron Maiden nerds on. Uh, but I, I still think you got somewhat of a backstory, Chris, uh, with the, with this band, Iron Maiden, that is.
2: Well, I I mean, I'll take this opportunity to segue into what uh, your listeners came here to hear, assuming they haven't shut the show off already with all this (laughs) kids talk, or uh, frantically fast-forwarding to get to uh, some Iron Maiden talk. But, um, you know, uh, Live After Death from the World Slavery Tour, I mean, it was massive in the States. I mean, this is one tour that I really regret missing because this— just was the tour to see, in my opinion with the whole egyptian stage set and by that time you know they had the three albums with dickinson and all the all the mtv play and at least least in the detroit area and i'm pretty sure across the united states uh 1985 they were as big a band that was touring at the time no question about it
4: that must have been their biggest time in the states and also that was uh, you know part of my idea i guess doing live to death with a bunch of americans because that's the pivotal american moment i would say
2: oh yeah i i think so i mean uh, you know definitely uh we we're starting to get traction with the first or the first two albums with dickinson but then power slave was so great and the the tour was uh you know i mean it was Packed, uh, packed full at every arena and, uh, it's got a great live album out of
4: it. Uh, when did you get into the band?
2: Uh, it was around, you know, when, when MTV started to hit, uh, um, you know, it, it, MTV started what, August 1981. I think it was, uh, probably into early 1982 by the time our cable system at, in my, where I lived picked up MTV, uh, and then, you know, Maiden videos were in pretty regular rotation, and they were... Yeah, I've heard uh,
4: so, because they had this kind of, you know, they've been boasting about not having any airplay and all that, which is kind of not true. Uh, I've heard they, they had plenty of airplay.
2: Hardly any radio airplay that I can think uh, okay. of, but they were definitely in, in uh, you know, heavy rotation on, on MTV, and they were very visual band, and... Uh, you know, put the work into the videos, and it was just, they were, their videos were definitely among the more, you know, exciting ones uh, for me to see, and uh, that's how people I knew got into Maiden.
4: I remember uh, a Dave Mustaine quote about uh, when an Iron Maiden video comes on, you readjust your ballsack and you lean back, (laughs) (laughs) you know, you're in in for a treat, you know, uh, one of his better quotes, and he has many.
2: When it, you do, yeah, you do. You do that with an Iron Maiden video, and uh, also girls on film Duran Duran would make you do a similar move uh, for different reasons. You know, hot girls in love lover boy, another one. You know, I could go on and on, but uh, I know what he's getting at.
4: What I was fishing for with uh, when you got into the band is uh, I don't think they they hit it in the states that early, right? Uh, Like the Paul Diano years, it was pretty much uh, an unknown band, you know? I wasn't born at the time, so.
2: Well, for you know, I, I started playing guitar in 79, and so I was becoming exposed to other types of music, you know? I was a huge Kiss fan almost exclusively until about 1979, and then started to broaden my horizons a bit, and was picking up, you know, circus magazines and some of the rock magazines going on, and you know, they definitely gave a lot of coverage to Maiden in the in the uh, you know circus hit parade or Cream magazine, all the rock magazines in the states. So that's when you know people started realizing that they existed. And then when MTV came out and you got to see them, it was like, okay, these guys are these guys are all world. So
4: I asked you as well uh, if you had seen them live, and you have, but uh, way later, right?
2: yeah not till uh what the book of souls tour uh what 2017 or 2018
4: never too late
2: oh it was terrific amazing concert i mean
4: i I think you almost have to see the band live which is apropos for today's topic because that's that's for me and and for eric you know that's that was the moment when you realized okay i'm I'm probably gonna be a fan for life uh, seeing the live the first time and uh we, uh, you know, we have our silent guest over here, John Mottola. Uh, I, s- I know a little bit about your Iron Maiden history. Uh, I-, I remember from guesting your show that you were yeah. way more into the hair metal stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. Eric's favorite genre, by the way. <laughs> oh, no, <okay>. but, uh, <laughs> I-, I don't mind as much <laughs> as I might have. Yeah, uh, and, and, and I remember you telling me that they, they, they cropped up in the same magazines and all that, but uh, you, you didn't really ever have an Iron Maiden period, right?
5: Uh, Not really. I mean, I I knew that they were uh, like I knew who they were, because actually the first I think one of the first hit paraders that I bought, Bruce Dickinson was on the cover. So um, Hmm. that wasn't the reason that I bought it. But I mean, I'd seen um, in school like all of the the Eddie back patches and, you know, the Iron Maiden logo all over the place. So I was definitely aware of them. But, you know, I um, I wasn't allowed to listen to that that kind of stuff. It wasn't until I started sneaking, like uh, you know, Ozzy and stuff, in under the under the wire that I could listen to that you know that type of music. So, um. uh, who didn't allow you? Was that a, a religious thing or? My yeah, my parents. Yeah,
4: right. Because I remember from your show, you saying that you you went to school with fuck like a beast, uh, wasp, just <laughs> to provoke or something like yeah. that. Right. So you had your little rebellion going on.
5: Oh yeah, yeah. I picked up that I picked up that single because they had this thing where you could like you could uh you could play a song at school. I went to a Catholic high school, so I picked up fuck like a beast by Wasp and I'm like, let's let's see what they think of that.
1: Oh man, you're my <laughs> <fucking> <laughs> hero. They,
5: spoiler, they didn't let me play it, so <laughs> uh, <laughs> <They took one. laughs> They're just like, no, we're not. We're not picking. They didn't have time for every kid's song, so they're like, yeah, we're gonna skip over the guy that brought in the album with the cod piece on the uh, cover, with a saw blade <laughs> in it, and just like, um, that's uh, he's kind of fucked up. We're gonna, um.
1: <laughs> dude, that's so fucking awesome. Yeah, that you great. attempted to do <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. Fuck also, yeah, dude. Uh, but,
2: um, Even more respect for you than I had before, which uh, was a lot. Thank you. Which was a lot. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs>
4: I was gonna to say too that Eric, uh, my co-host, refers to himself mm-hmm. as a recovering Catholic. Uh, Catholic. A Catholic, yeah, yeah recovering, recovering Catholic. Because, yeah, my, my
3: parents were were as well, and uh, I mean, I, I left as soon as I was old enough to to leave. Yeah, you know, I didn't, I didn't do anything that bad, so that that's a, that was a.
4: It's it's <laughs> yeah. sort of exotic and exciting to me the idea of uh, like number of the beast being a forbidden record, you know. Uh, I, I like the I like the idea I like that idea you know it's it, because you know it adds danger. Say
3: so that maybe that the fact that if it is forbidden some degree that sort of forbidding of it would you know that's probably sold quite a few records and quite a few oh, t-shirts yeah, just yeah. for the fact.
2: Oh no that, question like, oh, yeah. about it. Oh uh,
1: absolutely. Yeah, same same no question. With the- absolutely. Which, which, yeah. Yeah. On the flip side of that, I grew up in a, in a Catholic household mm-hmm. as well, but I grew up in like a Catholic household that was like. Like my aunt, I've told the story on the show before. My aunt, she's she's literally a nun. Oh, She, yeah, she bought me Diary of a Madman. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and she bought and she bought me British Steel. Wow, by Judas Priest. So it's like I didn't, even, I couldn't even enjoy the rebelliousness <laughs> of of satanic metal because it was supported by my by my Catholicism uh, induced family.
3: Oh, that's crazy! Well, I mean, maybe you can do some kind of like rebellion now. What What is it you can rebel against now? That well, I'm 40.
1: Make... I mean, I guess I
3: could.
4: What are your kids into, Greg? You're the only guy here with kids. What are my
1: kids into? Plato. Uh, Plato. <laughs> so, re- so, so re- you should rebel against Plato. <laughs>
4: yeah. reverse, reverse the rebellion. The fucking Where the father yeah. rebels.
1: I'm not going to take it. I'm going to get my. I'm going to get my twisted sister attitude back on. <laughs> Channel my inner D. Snyder there you go. and rebel against the kids. It will go on to the end, it will fight in France, it will fight on the seas and oceans, it will fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air,
4: Uh, we're here to talk about Life After Death, released in '85, recorded in Long Beach Arena in California. And uh, I recall Greg saying something like that—that that gig is part of my soul or something. I sent you the original poster.
1: That's probably something I would have said.
4: Yeah. <laughs> so you, you should kick it off. You know what, what? What is this about?
1: Oh yeah, because oh yeah, because the the gig itself—it was like. Twisted Sister and like Fastway opening. Fastway. Uh,
4: I I figured uh, Fastway the other week actually they came on at random. Great stuff. Yeah.
1: Like what a gig that is. You're going to see Iron Maiden at the Long Beach in Long Beach Arena and opening is first of all you got Stay Hungry era Twisted Sister. So right off the bat you got two platinum acts Mm -hmm. going And, and that first Fastway album is fucking awesome too. So it's like you can't that that bill is unfuckwithable. I mean, that would have mm-hmm. been. I mean, what a gig to go to, right? Fuck yeah, yeah. You know what? I, wow. I doubled down. That gig is in my soul.
4: It's in your soul.
1: I mean, I I was I was three when it happened, but like uh, yeah, it's in my soul. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
4: I guess it was uh, three nights, right? So, you know, technically three gigs, I would guess. And uh, as far as I know, the the live album is a um, sort of a mix. Probably. of the yeah. different nights, uh, whichever take whichever take worked the best. Whereas I think the video is. Uh, I'm not sure about this, but I think the video is is from one of the nights. Uh, but you know, they could have tampered with it mm. in yes. many ways, yeah. I guess.
1: You can hear differences between the recordings of the songs they used on the record and the songs that they were uh, that they filmed for the for the video release. And I've also because it's made, I've allowed myself to believe that this live record is more live.
4: Well, it it sounds pretty live. You know, you get some uh, p- some pitchiness from Bruce. Uh, yeah, you know, you get tempo shifts.
1: Yeah, there's definitely Bruce. Definitely, he he abstains from the quote studio notes a few times.
4: Yeah, <laughs> but but personally, I, I I've always been okay with tampering with live records. You know, uh, I'm not familiar with Kiss Alive other than it's been tampered with, <laughs> which mm-hmm. I'm fine with. Oh, uh, yeah, one of my favorite <laughs> records oh, is, is. Oh, it's uh, well documented.
5: <laughs> <laughs> That's an, yeah.
4: One of my favorite records is Live and Dangerous. Uh, I have no gripes. I have no gripes with it being you know. Semi studio, whatever—it doesn't matter to me. Yeah, really. I mean, about what comes across through my speakers It doesn't really matter if you know it's a legit process. Unleashed in the East, you know, same thing. Same, no thing. problem for me really. But I guess but you know, I, thought with kind Un- I
1: thought with Unleash in the East, I thought all the music was live, but Halford's vocals were done entirely in the studio. But maybe I maybe mm. I'm wrong
4: on that, but I mean, something like that, you know. But uh, yeah. then again, it is cool when the album is really live, like um, Slayer, Decade of Aggression from uh, I think nineteen. Oh yeah, there's like fuck
1: ups and there's fuck ups and stuff like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. that's cool. Yeah,
4: there's like two different approaches, really. I, you yeah, know, I I wouldn't say any any of them are you know, any of them are the right one, but, uh, you know,
1: I would argue if you fall in the middle ground between the two that you're probably in the wrong, wrong column. You either want to be completely raw or just fucking polish it up and overdub everything and, you know, do it like kiss or, or whatever. Did it, you know,
4: how are you on live albums, uh, Chris? Cause uh, I would say I'm not, Terribly into them. It's only like the, the, those really, like the, the gold standard ones that I, that I play back normally I would be on. Uh...
2: <clears throat> well, the thing about growing up in uh, uh, the 70s, um, getting into music and rock and roll and stuff, uh, especially growing up uh, originally from Detroit, huh. the first live album I remember was Live Bullet by uh, Bob Seeger and the Silver Bullet Band. Are you working people in the house tonight? You know it, it took the material to the next level um in terms of like you know he was similar to kiss and probably Fram- peter frampton as well frampton comes alive one of the mega albums ever I
0: was
2: Another one that's been cleaned up, you know, in the studio. And that's what really kind of kicked off the the live album mania is because those albums, by them cleaning it up, did such a good job of recreating the live experience wherever you were listening to it. So wherever you were listening to it, the way they mixed it, the way they faded in the crowd, the way they fixed the performances. Because when you're at a concert and somebody's pitchy on stage, you don't notice that when you're in the building because it's yeah. almost like your brain, like like with digitized images, it, it, it fills in those missing pixels and everything mm. is so fucking awesome. You don't care about the pitchiness or the fact that no. somebody missed a note on a guitar solo no. or something. But if you take that home and you got to listen to it over and over again, it kind of spoils it a little bit so they what they they, they were is so in tune with the fact that when you're there you don't notice any of that that they're like we're gonna make that happen on this album and it's gonna be people are gonna love it and that's how pretty much all the 70s live albums were done
4: i like comparing it to um, um you know editing a photograph uh, where it's, it's not really about altering reality it's more about trying to show what you saw when you, you know when you snap the the shot mm-hmm.
2: yeah exactly and and like i said when you're when you're in the building and wrapped up in that whole scene all the all the flaws and the uh you know mistakes or whatever you want to call them all get filled in in your mind to where they're pristine and they're incredible and um you know that that's what they did they consciously did that on on those iconic 70s live albums and that's why they're so iconic they were so popular i mean a lot of those songs they they only play the live versions on the radio because they're so much more potent than the studio material but they're clean and their the performances are good because they they fixed them up uh, Fixed them up later, and uh, nobody had a problem with it in the pre-internet days. Now every asshole gets on the internet, gets on the internet, and it's like, you know, the second anybody <laughs> talks about live and dangerous, you can set your watch to it. Within three <laughs> minutes, some asshole will fly in and be like, you know, they fixed that all up in the studio. I'm
4: informed. Oh, it's no. like
2: fuck off. First of all, you're not, you're not breaking any new news here everybody knows this so shut your mouth and second of all nobody cares because it's it's so awesome just like the actual concert we didn't need guys like you breezing in here and trying to ruin it because you're not gonna ruin it and everybody knows
4: it back checking uh, generation i guess or something like that you know it's that's uh, because
5: everybody wants to be a know-it-all i mean it's like uh when when you like chris makes the the great point i I probably i can't say it any better is when when you have a when you have an album that you're going to listen to over and over it's more about recreating Mm. the live experience not hearing like i mean do you want to hear the same note flubbed or the you know him like singing a bum note like every single time then you know but yeah, right. like um but i mean to recreate the the live experience it's just like uh, uh you know ed- editing a book or editing like a like a film or a tv show or something you're not gonna keep all the screw-ups in because who's gonna want to buy that yeah it, it's more about recreating the experience that like if your mind fills in
1: I think that that is is very much in line with an interview or a quote I read from Paul Stanley one time, where he said something to the effect of, "Who wants to hear a guitar falling up? You don't want the here. ground yeah, for the next yeah. hundred years,
5: mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you know? I think I remember that one. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think yeah. he was talking about a live three or something like that, and he was like, <laughs> he's like, well, who wants to hear a guitar?" my guitar strap break and the guitar hit the ground right. for the next 100 years you know it's like it's it's as right. live as it needs to be
2: yeah, no nobody want nobody wants yeah. that Yeah. and the people who do want it you get for example the the Van Halen Live in Japan album they came out with those vocals are horrible i can't listen to it and i love david lee ross believe me (laughs) yeah he's an american treasure that believe me i love the 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 vocals that is what you yes that's that's what you actually get through the soundboard if but if you were in that room it's it sounds like dave on the records but you listen back to it it's like okay i can't listen to it anymore (laughs) and it's a shame because the music is (laughs) on fire but the vocals kill it Oh, of course. Yeah.
5: And a lot of them too. I mean, a lot of the performers, like uh, like uh, Kiss and a lot of other performers, they 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 run around. They uh, you know they're jumping up and down. So I mean, how perfect are they going to yeah. be playing or singing? They'll be out of breath or you know whatever. I mean, and uh, like you said, you 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 listen to that outside of the concert setting, and you're probably going to hear like a garbage version of the show when you're all hyped up on adrenaline and you're excited about it and everything Mm -hmm. so it's more about like hearing it over and over like the first time that i heard uh kiss alive um when uh you know was like it was just in my mind like i hadn't seen any videos or anything of them yet um even though it was much later because i got into them in the the late 80s early 90s but i still hadn't seen any like old footage of them so i just had to you know like when somebody first got the album picture what that must have been like, you know, in my mind. And that's the whole point of it. That's the whole point of that, you know, which is why I guess like live albums now just aren't um, even like, you know, probably 20, 30 years ago aren't as big as they were because now you can just pull up a performance like that. To bring a
1: a personal perspective to it, I played at CBGB's about 20 years ago and they had a um, in New York city and they had a thing where it's like you, for like ten bucks, the guy at the yeah. soundboard would record your shit, and and like at the time, I was kind of in like more of like a uh, kind of like more like a hardcore band, and uh, we, we were very high energy and a lot of running around and a lot of shit like that, and like we played like a really fun, energetic set, and we felt really good, and we got the CD, and we listened to it all excited, and heard it back, and it was like
4: not releasable. <laughs>
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it was like we we fucking we never released it. We never. I don't even oh, no. know if anyone outside of the band has ever heard it. It's fucking. It was it was a mortifying experience.
2: So and, like, and plus, you know, as as Johnny will hopefully uh, back me up on this. If if you get you getting a soundboard recording, guys are messing with the levels. He's mixing yep. it. So like volumes are going up they're going down down. the drums are here then they're gone the vocals Mm -hmm. are all over the place so like a direct sound soundboard recording with nothing done to it is a disaster nobody wants to listen to that it's a it's a complete shit
4: show you know if you play small venues more than half the sound is the sound of the room if you play a small venue so what Mm -hmm. you get from the soundboard is basically the the you know the auxiliary stuff you know they added kick drum and all that so it's going to be a really right. weird re- right, exactly slanted mix but if you can get your hands on a multi-track I have released one live EP it's a band that was sort of Clutch influenced I think you like Clutch too Chris oh I, yeah I, I call. And, um, you know, but I had, you know, I had to use half of the songs because those were the ones we actually played well, but, but still, you know, it's, it's, it's actually a true one, but then if you get the multi-track, you can, you can mix it and, and tamper with it a little bit. And
1: well, the kind of band, the kind of band that you're recording also kind of plays into it too. You know, a band like Clutch, I'd imagine they're very much, you plug them in it's and they just forward, go, you know, and, uh, yeah, you yeah. could, you could, you could. Just you, they could do a raw live album, and I bet it would be awesome.
4: Oh no, they're great live. Uh, you know, yeah. I, I, as you know, I'm I'm uh, huge into drumming, and even though oh, I'm a yeah. tourist, and uh, that drummer JP Gaster, I think. His oh, name? incredible! Incredible! It's like yeah, uh, he, he has that kind of uh, Bill Ward thing, but with a little added power and uh, stamina to it. Uh, yeah. woof.
2: Now, clutch is like the the ultimate dad band like any, <laughs> any one of those guys could be your neighbor you're hanging out with at the block party yeah. you yeah. put a, the four of them on stage it's like the greatest band you've ever seen so yeah. i love yeah. them for for many reasons that's one of them it's just like they just go up there and mow you down with no you know they don't They're not into the visual image and stuff like that. I mean, Tim Salt,
4: uh, the guitarist, or maybe Tim Salt, I guess, the guitarist and bass player, I think, is Dan or something like that. And they they both kind of just stand there, you know, almost awkwardly. But the thing is that Neil Fallon is so animated, so, you know, it creates a sort of a a balance for the whole thing. Oh, they're
2: great so john uh i had a question i'll bring your uh, expertise into it uh, uh maybe a, a contrasting to what we've been talking about but uh made in japan obviously another one of the iconic legendary 70s live albums It sounds pretty live i mean was there any uh, what's what to what extent was there post production work done on that
5: you know what i don't um i don't know um like if there was uh, a lot to it uh, we had done a whole episode on it um i'd have to actually go back and and uh, and listen to see how much there was but if i recall our conversation there wasn't really a heck of a lot and i know yeah. that they had done i think um, because Nate and I had, uh, talked about, I think we talked about it. There was a, like a three disc set because they had done like three different nights. And when it, when it first came out, you know, I jumped on it because I wanted to hear all three versions. And I mean, each night was like fantastic. Um, but I yeah. mean, that's just how good they were alive. Um, I mean, if you've seen any of their shows around that time, w- which were just like completely like unfiltered, uh, you know, like, um the uh the denmark 72 show is one that we talk about a lot which is just like all yeah you know just uh i mean the video is like probably edited like um uh, you know on the was edited on the fly but i mean the sound obviously wasn't i mean i can't i couldn't hear a flaw in it so i mean i would imagine that 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 album was like minimally um like messed with like i don't think they went in and you know uh fixed anything i i think they just called it from the best shows
1: I have one of those nights. I have a bootleg of uh one of the shows I think from that that weekend of shows that they used or pulled stuff from for the the final version of Made in Japan. Mm-hmm. And the the show I have which kind of led me to believe that maybe they had done some work on the final version of Made in Japan, the guitars on the just the the raw recording of one of those nights is very very under distorted and kind of not concurrent with what ended up on the made in japan final release
4: Mm -hmm. editor's note greg is talking about made in japan not made in japan which was what chris and john was talking about easy to mix them up right tribute name and all that all right let's continue
1: or they or they just did overdubs you know or retract or because i mean it's only an ep i have a a a bootleg of of that whole set and and it just there's there's just audiophonic inconsistencies between you know what what was raw and what ended up being released so i mean again that's kind of Getting back to the uh, the nitpickiness of it, of that, well, that's just that's just part of that game, you know. What I mean, an important
4: it's- record for Iron Maiden, by the way. Maiden in, made in Japan, not made in Japan, made in Japan. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like uh, I don't think they would have sounded the same otherwise. You know, you can go check out the, the episode I did with uh, with John and, and Nate on um, you know the tie-ins between Purple and, and Maiden. There of, of which there are several, but I think you know those guys they yeah. they probably play that you know that vinyl to bits. I would say, All, oh, absolutely, you know, the entire band, and you know, well,
1: I think they they also use the producer of those albums for yep. their ba- the, for for, for, the, for the first you know, uh, decade and a half of their records, basically. So yeah, yeah. one
4: of my heroes, you know, Martin yeah. Birch. Uh, oh, yeah. oh yeah, the farmer, the what not? The, the first, like, the
1: first ever true producer of metal, you know, Martin yeah, Birch. And the thing mm-hmm. is,
4: he wasn't really like you know the the hotshot producer uh, that uh, comes in and you know I'm going to make you guys stars. He came in with the engineer type attitude, you know, right. I'm just going to help you make this sound good. He, he,
1: he knew how to capture the tones of what was, well, I, I mean, I don't, I mean, it was way before I was born. So I don't even really know if people were even calling it heavy metal, but he had an an ear for how to capture that sound at, at peak power and performance.
4: Mm-hmm. yeah the mid-range you know it's all in the mid
1: yes exactly he was the first one to really to capture that i mean he did all those the classic purple the classic you know, like, classic sabbath classic rainbow i mean he did all that shit you know
4: he did he did uh, i think uh, for life of the death i think a reason that they, you know that they wanted mm-hmm. to to do it was you know that they were such big fans of uh, made in japan and, you know, they had the opportunity to film and, uh, you know, getting big in the States as well. I think uh, Rod Smallwood management, he mentioned that he really wanted to show, like, my boys are big. And uh, that was part of the plan.
1: Well, they had the hot hand. They had the stroke at the time. They had the hot album. They had the hot tour. They had the ability to do that. They had they had the machine behind them at that point. And yeah. really, especially in that era, I mean, obviously, I, I sound like I was fucking, like, there You know, like I was three, but like looking back, you know, you could just tell that you could tell when bands had momentum and when the thing was working for them, and you could tell that at that point they were at at. You could argue they were at the apex of their first run. You know, the first part of their run, they're at the apex, and they have everything going for them. They have the momentum. They have the machine pushing them. At that point, you could just basically. You know, write whatever checks you want, make whatever decisions you want, tell people to fuck off, tell people fuck yeah. You know, like, I mean, you really have the ability to just call everything as you want it to be and you can make these moves, you know?
4: Right. And all warmed up from uh, traveling to uh, Poland, you know, traveling in, you know, behind the Iron Curtain, as they said, mm-hmm. which was quite rare in those days. I know that Scorpions did a few shows uh, in in the USSR. But uh, it was pretty rare, and they brought the whole show as well, you know, the full set, which was, yeah. you know, yeah. ultra, rare, ultra rare to get in Poland those days. So obviously it was yeah. a huge hit, you know, obviously not that financial, not a financial goldmine, because, you know, bringing all that, and you had to have the ticket price that was, you know, viable for, for that market, but uh, great idea, I think, you know, that's something you know, that can make or break a band if you, you know, decide to go on a limb and And do something that is maybe a little bit unorthodox.
1: They were probably the first band to really capture the nuance of heavy metal fans. They were able to really kind of hone in. I mean, Priest was obviously a heavy metal band, but Priest to me was always a lot more mainstream than Maiden. And I feel like Maiden was the first band that that embraced the sound and aesthetic and then went after, like, they didn't just go after, like, the, the branches on the trees, they went after, like, the roots, you know? Like they yeah, went yeah. after like the the, the groundswell of support, and I think that really that's the thing that's probably sustained them this entire time, and even through the, like their their lower points or their dark years or whatever, that their ability to to have gone after the roots and really got themselves in the, in the bloodline of the whole thing by going yeah. by doing things like going to Poland and stuff like that, going those at that time would have been an atypical place, you know, well, you know. I, so I, I think you, doing you know, doing things to. like that really. You know, if you if you get yourself in the bloodline, that'll sustain you through those through those bad times. I think. I mean, it would appear so. I mean, Maiden's still doing all right. Last I checked, so
4: they are. They are. (laughs) are. (laughs) Also, like that. That's an interesting thing on Live After Death that the band is you know pretty worn out actually by that stage. It's deep into the tour, and uh, you can hear it on Bruce. You know, he's it's not his best performance at all. But uh, I've been talking with Eric about this repeatedly that. Live After Death is not the best live documentation of this band, but it is the legendary live album. It has the, you know, it has the sleeve, <laughs> the kind of Van gogh inspired uh, blue and and yellow, Swedish colors, by the way. We yeah. have
1: there. You go. There you go. Buffalo Sabers colors too, just like uh, that. Oh well. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> there we go
4: too. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's more important sometimes when it comes to a live <laughs> record. You know that you have that kind of the, the product is a bit important because as as John said, it's not a bootleg, right? You know. Yeah. It's a package, and I thought, you know, to kind of you know, cement this segment, I guess, uh, I've asked you guys to bring in some uh, some favorite bits of this record, because I, I want to talk about Kiss as well, so I think we should get to that. And um, yeah, Greg, you seem uh, ready to start. Uh, oh, what's, yeah. what's, great, what's great about Live After Death? Why is it legendary? Because I think...
1: What's the what's deal, with, what's the deal <laughs> with Live After Death? <laughs> I don't get it. Yeah. Right. <laughs>
0: um
1: well well right, right off the bat, I mean, they I mean just the whole intro, the Churchill thing, I mean, they, they set a vibe right off the bat, and then it's like yeah. <sniffs> Ace is high. I mean that's you, you can't ever go wrong with an up tempo opener. Yep. I don't want to waste all my jizz on this portion of the of the conversation, but like, yeah,
2: you yeah know, you're, not, you're not getting any younger, Greg. You can't yeah, exactly. recover from that uh, as quickly as you used to. Exactly. So, Take it from I'll, me. <laughs> Ask me how I know.
1: <laughs> all right, so I'll keep I'll keep it to two two specific things, um, upon advice from uh, from Doctor L. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) so i'll say you can't go wrong with uh with starting off with the the churchill thing into aces high i mean you can't run that but really i mean i i mean rhyme of the ancient mariner i mean that's the centerpiece of the record it sounds the presentation of it is so powerful and then when you, when you see the the visual presentation of that song with you see the the lighting rig basically cave in onto the stage yeah. and get so yep. low and just smoke i mean the production i mean you can't hide money
4: you and know violin, and violent yeah. volume knob swells you know yes exactly and, you know clever thing it wasn't that common
1: The visual of that performance of that song is where you really get the full grasp I mean if you can't already tell from like the fucking sphinx that they're playing in uh-huh. you know at the time but like right. you can tell like, like I said you can't hide money and when you got the lighting rig that can basically drop you know 40 feet you know down from the ceiling onto basically do 10 feet over the stage and you got the smoke and you got all the atmospherics I mean that to was, me is uh, yeah. is the money. I was money. way
4: impressed with that. Oh, so impressive! In the early in the early '00s, but it's still on VHS. I'm old enough for that. Yes, you
1: know? I rented it from my mom and pop video uh, video store uh, when I was when I was a child. And like uh, I shouldn't say child, but I was like maybe '94 or '95. I rented it on VHS, and um, it actually got stuck in my VCR because we had a fucking <laughs> busted user. So I then had to. <laughs> Stuck, at the age playable. at the age of twelve, I learned how to dis- dismantle a VCR so I could withdraw the va- the uh, the Iron Maiden VHS so I didn't get uh, late fees. But anyway, <laughs> neither here nor there. <laughs> Career um, opportunity. Yes. Well, yeah. Career opportunity missed. I decided to be a musician <laughs> instead, so I fucked up.
4: Ooh, bad call. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so. Terrible
3: decision.
1: Yeah. <laughs> the, v- the VCR repair industry is really fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> he he
0: could have,
2: he could have conceivably right. transitioned into That's something right. as a musician. That's you can true. never do anything else. No, absolutely. Nobody wants yes, you around I anymore.
1: I so. am, uh, I'm like, I'm like a bad check. I look good, but I'm worthless.
2: Yeah, exactly.
4: <laughs> I have another. But, reaction to your highlights there. It's the Churchill Speech. It's not on PowerSlave. And I've been debating with myself, uh, why not? But I think it might be because it's a single vinyl, and it's already squeezed into its 52 minutes almost. That's That's true. 51 which yeah. is, you know, no one does that today. No one does a 51-minute single vinyl. So maybe they just didn't have the time. Maybe they have cleared the samples and everything, you know, ready to release. But
1: here they are. They didn't come up with it until after the record came I out, you know, it, when yeah. they were really when they were in pre-production for the show and they're like, well, we need an intro. And maybe they came up with it then. But Yeah.
4: I love how it's exclusive to the to Live of Death album. I love that. Yeah. You know, I don't want right. Power Slave. I like Power yeah. Slave just the it, way it just, is. You
2: know? it, yeah. Add, yeah, it adds so much drama, which is perfect for the live album. Mm-hmm. You know, yes. the, the, the studio album you want to get right to it, and you definitely do. But but having that 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 just mysterious kind of mysterious like you know when you're a kid, you, you're not. You're not very worldly. At least I was, and I still am not. But uh, you know, it's like, who is this? What what is this spoken word thing? And then they just, like Greg said, they just punch you right in the face with Ace's high. Yeah. And once it registers with twenty thousand people that Ace's is high is happening, everybody just goes ballistic, and yep. it's it's on for the next two hours. You know,
1: I will say before I uh, uh, submit or I uh, rescind from my part of the conversation. My favorite moment of live after death is in "Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner" when they come out of the the slow part and they um, they kind of build back into the the buildup of the words it's. and just goes eh, heh, 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 he does like creep Keeper keeper laughs and like eh, yeah. and, the, and then you yeah, hear yeah. the sample or the sound effect of of the wave crashing um, yeah. that's on Power Slave. You hear that, and then they kick back, and then, dum, 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 and like, and you, and then, obviously, when you see it live, and there's all the pyro going off, it's like, I mean, my arm hair is, I mean, I got arm hair boners right now, just yeah. fucking, just like, even even thinking about it, you
4: know? In, in, when was that, Eric? In 2009, when they redid? wait, oh wait, uh, no, yeah. Even then, you know, uh, I was at, uh, whacking open air in Germany, and, you yeah, know, that part is, bound to be the the peak of of an armageddon show it's just oh, great no. you know mm-hmm. and, um, the back-to-back solos mm-hmm. you know it's just a heavy metal moment for the books i think
2: mm. yeah absolutely
4: chris you got highlights
2: yeah i mean uh it's hard you know greg went first and it's hard for not for anybody not to key in on the churchill speech into aces high but then it's just i've got the track listing up on my other computer here you know obviously with a live album it's going to be it's going to be the band's best but this this track listing is unrelenting i mean especially side one ace High, two minutes midnight trooper revelations flight of icarus i mean you know going back to what we were talking about earlier about how we sometimes we we Key, stick with one album by one band because we don't want to bi- be disappointed by anything else they put out you could listen mm. to just side one of live after death and be totally satisfied and be, be like I,
4: actually i know some casual fans of Iron of maiden that stick with this album it's enough for them and, and I, I accept that you know it's, it's, yeah. it's a very good documentation five albums in i think it's a great time to do a live record
2: then that's the other thing about like how we were talking about how popular they were because of the live show and they played all these markets where people were starved for entertainment and that stuff is all great. But if you don't have the material to back it up, none of that gets any traction. All there's not a, I mean, again, a a live album is essentially a greatest hits album, but there's, there's not a, there's not even a, uh, Semi bad song on here. I mean, just
4: incredible. That's pretty much all killer, yeah.
2: Yeah, all killer, no filler, as they say. Um, Mm -hmm, Yep. And um, the other thing that uh, it'll be a a slightly dissenting opinion, but I'll, I'll just. The things. Two things stick out at me that I don't like about Live After Death. One of them is the how fast the tempos are. I call them... I, I
4: agree. Yeah.
2: I call them cocaine tempos, you know? <laughs> on, on, <laughs> yep, definitely. On par with, like, uh, early 80s Stones, if you ever saw, like, the Tattoo U Tour. Or it's Metallica
4: like, 86. I listened to that the other yeah. day. Creeping Death, double tempo,
2: power snake tempos, power snake tempos, <laughs> nose whiskey tempos, whatever you want to call you
4: know, it. At, <laughs> at the end of Creeping Death, uh, Kirk does a little fill, sort of a pull, off, a pull off hammer on thing, Diddly, diddly, diddly. Yeah. And you know yeah. that tempo when they played it in '86, what he what, what he can't even do that is it's, yeah. it's just something.
2: And I I get the you know uh, uh, you you want that adrenaline, and again in the '80s it was probably plenty of the white stuff involved uh, occasionally but uh, for example uh, my f- well one of my uh, three top maiden songs is revelations it's way too oh, yeah. fast on the live album
4: yeah it's way better on the 09 version actually overall yeah. the 09 version is better but live of death is the legendary record you know
2: yeah because it was you know like greg said it was tied to that tour and you know and rightfully so it's good i'm i'm just saying that like I prefer the studio version the tempo of revelations it's just too fast uh for me and I, I think that's true of a few of the other cuts but in general it's it's in the ballpark and it adds some excitement to it the other thing is like you hinged at it, johnny about uh, how they were like kind of late in the tour and uh, mm-hmm. you know maybe running out of gas a little bit nico's tempos are all over the oh, place Oh. Yeah. <laughs> uh and i I've, I've also found that on like the live album of the tour i saw the book of souls uh, just he's not he's not like a matt sorum robotic timekeeper you know he's all, he's all I mean, over that, the place
4: it has a charm too you know the liveliness and the you know
2: yeah I guess, uh, you like your music to breathe i just think it it breathes a little too heavily for me at times. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just again, I'm just, you know, again uh, just being a I, I guess a contrarian, not for the sake of being one, but like just like those are the two things that are not my favorite things about Live After Death, but, you know, when you when you when you when you compare that to this track listing and how unrelenting it is on side 1, you you know, you get over all the little uh, quibbles you have with it, and take it for what it is, which is an amazing live
4: album. I think it's sound criticism. Me and Eric, we've been onto this. That this is oh, not yeah, at all—it's not at all the best uh, live recording of this band. But again, you know, it's more about the mythology, the packaging, the whole thing. You know, they said I see live albums as you know a part of being from being entertainment, which is obviously the main reason they exist they are also uh, documentations, you know, like a, a time document of where the band was then. And then, you know, 85 is probably more interesting than 09, even though they actually played better in 09, I would say. You know, yeah. acro- across the board, you know, Nico is more even in the tempo. He ditched his Coke-is-it cap by that time, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Which he wears in the, in the power shape, right. booklet, <laughs> yes. you know? yeah, I don't think it refers to Coca-Cola.
2: No, I don't think he was referring it, to was Coca-Cola either. <laughs> That that could explain the tempos and revelations, but... uh, It could,
6: yeah. yeah, 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 yeah.
4: I'll mention one of my moments on the album. It's the beginning of uh, Flight of Icarus. Bruce is so eager that he has to bring in. Uh, I don't remember which MC move he does. It's something like, bring it in, or, you know, uh, almost like a rage against the machine, uh, uh, you know, turn that shit up kind of thing. Yeah, right. and, let uh, it go, you know, I think it is. Let it go. That's the thing. Yeah. And it's its just so, you know, it's, I, I like hearing that his energy is, you know, above the level of just doing what he's doing. You talked before about, you know, kids moving about on stage and, Mm-hmm. And Greg's band moving about on stage. And of course, Bruce is famous for, you know, his uh, pretty much frantic stage demeanors. You, can,
1: you should edit out mentioning my band in this conversation.
4: Ah, no, it's fine. <laughs> fine. And, uh, you know, and for him then to have to add, let it go. I like the energy you know. And yeah, speaking of energy, definitely has some of that nose, whiskey, tempo going on as well.
1: I, I think that the older I've gotten personally, and I, and I imagine probably more people than not are probably in the same boat as me, is like the more that has been publicized about or just been more aware of just how deep they were into that tour and just how many gigs they had played mm-hmm. and just how like the size of that whole production the fact that Dickinson was even able to even present like any kind of energy, like like I would never ever fucking want to be a front man, ever. Like I can't even begin to imagine the exhaustion that I mean, holy shit. Think about think about that gig for that whole year and just even being able to just summon the energy to to perpetuate that from night to night. And I'm sure it wavered, but he's a professional and like just to to even go that that far every night to, to any degree, it's like it's Herculean, you know.
2: Yeah. Mm. And then and, and in the in the liner notes of the album, they listed out all the tour dates, and it's mm-hmm. like in this really small print, and you're like, holy shit, how long yeah. does this tour <laughs> yeah. go on? You know. And then you're looking for Long Beach, and it's all all the way to the end of the list. It's like yeah. holy shit, man. Yeah. You know. That was, uh, you know, they didn't. Uh, that was full disclosure, and uh, yeah, that's where you, you know, back in the day when you had a cop vinyl copy of the album, and you're sitting there looking at it, and you mm-hmm. just realize, you know, you gain that respect for them because it's like, man, these guys, th- these guys don't mess around. You know, they're not half assing it at all. Well, that's the thing, though. When I was a kid and I saw that,
1: I just thought, well, that's that's what musicians do, and that's what bands do. But then, when I got old enough to actually like tour, like with bands and shit, and that's when I really understood. Like, I I didn't get a full appreciation for that list until I was probably in my mid twenties, you right. know, when I, when I was yeah. attempting to to live that life to whatever degree I could. Like, that's when I realized, wow, this is fucking. It's even more impressive because I never yeah. even did anything at like a. a a fra- i did a fraction of that and these guys were fucking yeah. going these guys are doing 180 gigs a year
4: yeah mm-hmm. yeah i loved reading reading that you know as, as a 13 year old i loved reading that they listed all the strings they've used and you know all the guitars they've used and yeah. how, many can,
1: how many cans of beer they crushed and, right you know, that yep. Shit. Yep. Yeah, yep. yeah yeah um, yeah
4: you can do that once you know if they did it twice it would be ridiculous but uh, yeah yeah for life of death sure
1: no, it, and, that, and I think that's the thing that that makes it that that's why we're able to still talk about it to this day. Is I think that, that that the accomplishment of that whole era of that band, it just it it defies time, and I think it's it gets heavier and more impressive with time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, mm-hmm. and I you know, I think that's 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 the timelessness of a band like that, and and an era like that where you could just even if you look back at the history of that band. I mean maybe it's one of those things where maybe you don't know it at the time but you can look back and just see that it, it, this is a, a, a shot a snapshot in time of a band really just at the top of the world the top of their game at the yeah. top of whatever it is that the, they could possibly be on top of this is this is it and yeah. and they and it sounds like it and it looks like it and so it's right. it is it you know
4: I love that it has this illustrated sleeve, you know, live albums maybe it would be a picture of the stage or, you know, a live shot or something like that. But this has a proper, you know, Derek Riggs illustration. I like mm. that too. Yeah. It makes it yeah. really part of the, of the discography. Hey,
1: I don't listen I don't listen to many live records I just don't I just I I don't really find them to be better than records um live after death is is an exception to that rule for me personally that's that's one of the few live records that actually is in regular rotation for me
4: I think we paid our proper respects to it uh, I want to head over to to kiss you know when was their peak uh, in in terms of popularity and you know just uh overall uh, I don't know exposure or Whatnot? I, I, I don't really know when when uh, you know when Kiss hit it big. You said that it, the first three albums were under the radar a little bit, Greg. Yeah, yeah, uh, I'm most familiar, I think, with the first record. <laughs> Strader, Black Diamond, uh, uh, some of those songs, really good songs.
1: Two records in 74, and they had a, a third studio record in, in 75, and then a live record in 75. And the first, the live record called Alive, was really the thing that kind of popped the cherry on, on what that band was going to become over the next really i mean it, it it's such a, a bulk of material but if you think about it really their whole initial first big wave was really i mean it it was it was all in the span of like 4 years i mean true. It, but, but the the industry and bands in general just don't operate like that anymore
5: their no, first no. record
1: came out in 74, second record came out in late 74, third third studio record 75, a live record in 75, uh, two studio records in 76, um, a studio album in 77, a live album in 78. I mean, I mean think of the material I and mean, this doesn't fucking that, the world of music does not operate like that anymore. And it no, seems like, like it was such a long period of time, but their first Huge wave of success was really, like I said, is only in like four or five years. I mean, that's it's unprecedented, and they yeah. they, they 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 made a crater with that time frame.
4: Uh, John, how did how did you get into Kiss? Uh, I'm guessing it must have been like pre-teen age, uh, considering how like how big they are for you, you know.
5: Yeah, yeah. Because I I started off, um, I liking uh, you know theatrical rock because I was into the, uh, like, the 80s uh, Sunset uh, Strip-type band. So, I mean, they were theatrical in a different way. Uh, uh, Rat, Poison, Motley Crue, um, all that kind of stuff. So everything from, like, glam metal to, like, kind of, like, grungier hair metal. um, I guess you'd call it, like, Guns N' Roses a little bit later on. Just anything that was, like, really theatrical. So um, when I you know i mean i knew the kiss was around because when i was um hot in the shade was out when i was in junior high i think so they were all over the radio with uh, forever and all that so i mean i knew they were a thing but then when i saw what their history was i'm like wow look at that so i wanted to, you know i picked up their albums and i mean thought the music was great and just the 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 lore and the story behind them they they have such an interesting history because there's just so many there's just so much history with them. Like their story is just fascinating if you're into them, and um, and then I mean, just the the music and the stage show are uh, on their own are just you know we're always like captivating because um, they put together the best of all worlds. They wanted to, I I think what was one of the their early quotes is they wanted it to be like uh, Alice Cooper meets the New York Dolls uh, theatrically. All right, yeah. So I mean, that's that's how I got into them, and it, it's like I think it's like. Uh, there's no in between it's like if you if you love that stuff you either really get into it or you're just like meh not for me
4: yeah i mean i recognize it from from you know discovering maiden i recognize that yeah. thing that you discover a band and then there's this whole backstory really intriguing and that's kind of what i was you know what i'm trying to fish for is i guess uh, yeah the similarities in terms of fan culture more so than music because Iron maiden and kiss are not that similar musically you know you could yeah. argue that running free uh, detroit rock city maybe you know a little bit of that uh, shuffle rock tie in there but uh, what i'm feeling is that the, the the fan culture is similar the the obsession you know uh, like i said we got four four podcasts even in swedish on on kiss so obviously it's a big thing that uh, just you know went outside of my radar mm-hmm. uh, what about chris uh, kiss for you how early
2: Uh, I was, uh, what, 10, I guess. Um, you know, I was, um, you know, uh, got into music through my parents, uh, record collections. They had a lot of Beatles in there. Uh, you know, Simon and Garfunkel stuff. Uh, they actually had some, you know, like, uh, fifth dimension and some of that kind of stuff. I think my parents got into some some hedonistic weirdness that i wasn't aware of and <laughs> probably don't want to know what went on but uh, i think they had the appropriate music in their vinyl collection which is interesting exotic rituals and whatnot. yeah and then they uh, you know um I, they my mom used to buy me all those KTEL albums which was like those compilation albums so you'd get everything on there you know disco rock whatever you know just uh all the songs of the day so um but then, um, you know, summer of, had to have been 77, which I think was also the summer of Sam out in uh, New York City. Uh, the serial killer son of Sam was doing his thing. Um, but my, uh, my cousins, well, it's, it's true, that's what was going on. Um, but uh, there was like two or three summers there where each summer we went out to Long Island to visit my uh, aunt and uncle and my cousins. My older cousin played me uh, the "Rock and Roll Over" album on a on cassette. I could, if you guys, if we were all together, I could take you guys to the exact p- place on the planet where I first heard Kiss through my uh, cousin's
4: cassette player
2: in Oyster nice. Bay, Long Island. There's always New a York. cousin
4: involved. I've said before in this show. There's always a cousin
2: involved. Cousin, weird uncle. You know, they <laughs> yeah, all yeah. they all shape us in some way. But. Uh, yeah. But he played uh, uh, he put in rock and roll over, and again, I, 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 saw, I could see that it was a cassette copy. I could see the cover, so I knew like what the image was, but I just keyed into the music and you know I want you, of course, drew me in, but then when take Me came on, it was it was over. I was locked in for yeah. for a, a solid two, three years where that's all I listened to.
4: That's the best artwork, I think, rock and roll over. I, like I think so. That's oh, like iconic.
2: Iconic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that came out in like late 76. And it wasn't until <laughs> the summer of 77 when I first heard it.
4: Um, at, at what age would that be? Uh,
2: Ten, summer of 70. Yeah, I, had, I was 10. 10 years old.
4: That's a good so, age to get into hard rock, I think. Yeah.
2: yeah, it was pretty good. And then I, you know, at that point, I, uh, start, I went back and I think... Uh, Hotter Than Hell was the next album I got from them, which is still one of my favorites. A lot of people have problems mm-hmm. with the production, but the material is outstanding. The material is hotter than hell. It is. Yeah. It really is. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. And then, of course, Alive. And then I started, you know, getting the albums in real time as it came out. And, you know, it was pretty exciting.
4: If you were to sell Kiss to Maiden fans, uh, what would be like your choice cuts that I could put in post?
2: um well i would say if if you if you're uh, a fan of like the heavier music in general i would direct uh listeners to uh hotter than hell um the 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 production can be off-putting it's a little murky and kind of dark but uh i would say parasite or watching you Mm mm-hmm
6: fuck yeah (laughs)
2: of the heavier side of maiden those two tracks they would key in on um and if they're a fan of like the galloping up tempo kind of thing um you know this I, I would direct them to uh creatures lick it up era like exciter the and, song
1: exciter yeah absolutely yeah it's like yeah. it's like
2: and I said it, I say it all the time on the podcast because I, I never really consumed a lot of deep cuts from Kiss in the '80s. But when I started hearing those "Lick It Up" songs, it was like they were definitely influenced by Priest of the era. Yeah, yeah. You know,
1: now what's gonna happen? Sure.
4: Is Exciter as good as Excited by Priest? Because that's a killer track.
1: I would go with Priest Exciter over Kiss is Exciter, but Kiss is Exciter uh, is fucking awesome too. Yeah, it's pretty
2: it's per- close. Uh. it is, and,
1: and
4: like
2: yeah, they sh- shared the same song title and yeah. that kind of thing. But um, you know, there's a couple other like creatures of the night. The title track is mm. is more like that up tempo. Yeah, like if you're if that's what you like about Maiden, those galloping rhythms and stuff. I would say. We're- Really, you could say any any Kiss material
1: co-written or written by Vinnie Vincent would probably appeal to most, like uh, Unholy, I mean, yeah. that's a little bit later on, but Unholy is a that, that's fucking... That's of
4: my favorites, actually. Yeah, that's
1: yeah. A, a heavy song, with it's an track. awesome song. I mean, yeah, It's
4: got a bit of a Danzig tone to it, I think, you know, it has that oh, kind of... Oh yeah, I uh, can
1: see that, yeah, a yeah, yeah. absolutely, absolutely, yeah. I can see that. That's not good
2: That's a good point. You know, Vinny Vincent, what a weirdo, what a strange guy. But <laughs> do the, tell who is the, this so, the, the songwriting though. The guy, his songwriting ability, just you know, he's obviously a guy who, when you you
1: have someone a governor on him, basically he can he can come up with with great shit. But as his own solo material or his own solo existence would. And for if you leave him to his own devices, fucking look out!
2: Yeah, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The Vinnie Vincent invasion is is something to behold. Really. <laughs> I That's
5: think as, good, as, um, it's um, a, a modest uh, way of putting it. <laughs> I, I I remember a while ago. I, I think it was. Uh, I don't know if you remember Chris uh, as you quoted on one of his posts. What uh, um, that bitch <laughs> is crazy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah.
5: <laughs> and I, I think it was when he was going to charge like five hundred dollars for a box and you're like, "What? That bitch is crazy!" Yeah,
2: yeah, that's uh, that's more more of the cultural ignorance uh, showing itself. Uh,
1: an, o- an oasis of cultural ignorance. Yes. Well, actually, but, one of uh, my
4: ignorant questions I prepared for this show is that the fact about outside songwriters, because that's been pretty much uh, not in metal for a year for decades. It's sort mm-hmm. of back now a little bit with Ghost. Because uh, Tobias is is writing songs together with uh, some oh, of the priests.
1: You know. Priest had that. Priest
2: dabbled with outside songwriters too.
4: And how much did Kiss do that? I have no clue. I just know that they did. You know. Well, they, they, they did,
2: did a, lot a lot of it into the eighties, especially yes. uh, Desmond Child, which uh, which you know had mixed results, but like the stuff they wrote with him that was on point was uh, was on point, meaning it was pretty damn good, like. Uh, and and these are things i've warmed up to especially listening to these songs with jericho who's a huge fan of 80s -hmm. kiss but like uh you know uh turn on the night and uh reason to live and stuff like that some of those 80s like ballads and stuff it's it's well-written well-crafted stuff from the era
1: And that's and that's just on the slickier, poppier side of the Kiss spectrum. Let's lest we forget that they wrote two fucking bangers like War Machine and Rock and Roll Hell with Brian Adams. Yeah, correct. Yes. Adams. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Oh, look yeah. at that. Yeah. <laughs> and those songs are are some of the most. I mean, those songs are savage. I mean, the the riff, the main riff to War Machine is like.
2: It's just cruelty. It's barbaric. It's it's fucking heavy. Yeah. It rules. Yeah, and you know? it's it's still in the set to this day. Yeah, I mean, absolutely.
5: Apparently, uh, Gene wrote it on a uh, like a little uh, little uh, kitty keyboard. (laughs) Where the story goes, it's nice to
4: write uh, write metal or hard rock on toy instruments. It's actually quite nice. I don't know why. (laughs) Absolutely, (laughs) like a miniature guitar. I don't know why, but you can make killer riffs on that.
1: If it if it sounds heavy on a child's guitar, it's going to sound heavy on a fucking uh, you know come ripping through a half stack and uh, you know an adult size guitar. You know, right? Crunch. Yeah, exactly.
4: Let's turn the tables around a bit. Eric, why did you never get into Kiss?
1: <laughs> well, I was busy, actually.
3: See, I, I didn't have time for Kiss, so I was really busy uh, reading up on Son of Sam. Um, I,
2: don't know. I have no idea. I try to think of Son of Sam joke for
3: like fucking 10 minutes.
2: Um, Seinfeld's van. <laughs> There's a lot of humor in that story. Yeah. Not, Not really. cuts a, It button. cuts like a knife. Yeah, Back there you Brian. go. Back Pretty to real. Brian Adams yeah. too. Son, son of Sam also <laughs> collaborated with Brian Adams. So <laughs> you know, to quote, to
3: quote, to quote uh, what I'm sure Norman Donald would have said about him: "This son of Sam guy was a real jerk." Yeah, <laughs>
2: yeah. He was, he was kind of an asshole. Sure.
3: Yeah. Uh, no, I, th- I think I think I uh, I've always sort of been when I was younger. I was um when I was sort of just getting into hard rock. I was very much aware of KISS, and that would have been kind of around the... Oh, I'm not sure. That must have been sort of right before the Psycho Circus kind of era. But I, uh, I don't really know why I haven't really gotten into more. I, I want to more than I've been able to, uh, which is why this is uh, very interesting, because I, I, one of my favorite podcasts uh, called Them Steve Dave on their Patreon, they do a KISS podcast. Which I listen to, but I'm, I'm, you know, I'm I'm not really a Kiss fan. But I, I, I want, I want to sort of become a fan because it seems like.
4: Yeah, well, I listen to Pot of Thunder every week, but that's because of uh, John's colleague there, Nate. He told me, Ah, no, you don't have to be into Kiss. It's all right. And then again, first episode I listened to is just, uh, you know, a hate, hate feast for sound engineers. you know baptism
2: by fire i guess i'm a i'm a guitar player guitar players and sound guys do not mix
4: i'm a guitar player but i would say guitar players are sometimes dicks you know
2: oh yeah no question about it it's like what do you mean turn down what the fuck are you talking about
4: exactly turning
2: down it's like when he tells you to turn down you pretend you're moving the knob it's like do you do you understand i'm trying to get laid here tonight i need my amp to be loud okay You know, I'm not, you're not going to cock block me here, buddy.
5: (laughs) You need to compensate.
2: Figure it out or don't, or take the mic off of it. Okay. (laughs) You
5: you got them going. You got them going. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Sound guys and Dana Strum get me going.
5: (laughs) From. Yeah. Don't forget Jeff Lynn.
2: Well, I, I didn't want to go there because <laughs> I'm, I'm, the, the, I'm not getting any younger. I don't know how much more of this I can.
1: The handle. biggest leech in the history of rock and roll. Oh, I mean, uh, I guess sorry
4: to say, but who's who's Jeff Lynne? Electric E-L-O. Orchestra. Oh,
2: okay, yeah. Traveling Willberries.
1: If you look at the lineup of Traveling Willberries. Which one of these things is not like the yeah other? which and one the doesn't belong The thing that is not like the other is Jeff Lynn. Yeah. It's a lot li- it's a it's a lineup of legends and Jeff Lynn. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
4: <laughs> was Start- that, that was a Pot of thunder one with the the call or something it was a song with a telephone
1: oh, line. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. was <sighs> not
4: a good uh, song. Terrible.
2: <laughs> but yeah, it, all, it started with with him it started with Roy Wood and the Move. Roy Wood had talent, Jeff Lynn ah, had nothing. The move I know, yeah. Yeah. And then you know, went off with his stupid ELO with the fucking <laughs> cellos and whatnot. It's like, and and you know what? ELO was one of the first bands to get busted for using tracks and doing
4: some lip syncing. So, ah, you know, the backtrack's going on like Too bad metal. cancel culture
2: didn't exist in the seventies <laughs> because we could have wiped him out decades ago and wouldn't have had to be talking about him now. But. You know, I think if cancel culture existed back then, we wouldn't have any bands left. And instead, he became the curator for the estate of one of the
1: Beatles,
5: which ensures his
1: place in rock and roll history for like forever. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah.
5: <laughs> I opened up a can of worms here.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I mean, I, I think it's you know, someone you got to say the things that need to be said, and and I don't think that this dude gets his feet held to the fire nearly
2: enough as wow. he should. Somebody should hold his afro to the fire and you know, finish the job.
4: The, my reason not to get into Kiss was that I actually always took them for granted because they're yeah. a household name. You know, yeah. I, I could imagine that could happen with Maiden for someone else. You know, they're always around. It's not like some secret to discover or anything like that. But uh, of course, we had like the action rock movement here in Sweden with the helicopters and bands like that. Yeah, and yeah. They, they all yeah, worship yeah, Kiss. Yeah. They worship that band. And oh, you know, yeah. those guys were also in the extreme metal scene, which is, you know, part of my um uh, I guess my oh, Nicky. Nicky. formative yeah. years, yeah, uh, with the Entombed and uh, they love Kiss, you know, to the point of uh, yeah, it's just ridiculous how much they like them. So, they've always been around. I took them for granted and yeah. sort of like Eric, I was annoyed with that whole um Hair metal thing, then. But yeah. uh, I've, I've since discovered it. Yeah, like I said before on our show, that the first Metal Crew album, for example, not bad. Is it good? No, album. of course. Man, no, it's good. also,
1: I could see that if you were, if you're looking to, if you hear of Kiss and you look to deep dive into him, and the first thing you happen to see is like, paul stanley's photos from like the back cover of crazy yeah. nights and it's just like yeah. it's him swathed in a sea of pubes and chest hair and, yeah you know? v- vis-
2: <laughs> v- visible thong strap yeah, coming up yeah, over his, head maybe, you know, his yes maybe that will prevent you from uh
1: investigating further
2: but that's the thing it, it also goes back to what we were talking about with uh you know live albums being touched up and being yeah. at the concert and like you you listen with your eyes and you listen with yeah. your all of your senses going on around you if you can somehow you know put the the visual uh element of the band aside and just imagine them as a t-shirt and jeans helicopters looking rock and roll band you're going to be satisfied, especially with the '70s output. Mm-hmm. No question about it. I mean, you know, I knew what they looked like. I had the posters. I was in the Kiss Army. I had. I knew all about the shtick. But whenever I listened to my Kiss eight tracks back in the day, I pictured them as a t-shirt and jeans rock and roll band. And. Right. Uh, you know, no, I mean,
4: that, I, I like the theatrical side. Uh, this is an Iron Maiden podcast, so, you know, obviously. Right.
2: A know. band
4: like Ghost, for example, uh, not yeah. a favorite band of mine, but I think they are way better because they do the theatrical thing that's been yeah. a little bit lost in metal, you know, because when, when I was getting into music production and that sort of stuff, it was all about no guitar solos. You know, everything was meant to be so street that it was just uh, silly in a way. So I lean back mm-hmm. towards, you know, something theatrical. I think that's a that's a huge um, you know plus for kiss in my you know in my book
2: right but if you really if you're if you're looking to get into the band and appreciate
4: what they put out musically you know it sounds like jeans and jeans and t-shirt I agree with that it
2: does it's like in a lot of that stuff you have it almost have a disconnect with the visual image like if you listen to dress to kill and you're listening to lover all I can, and, it, and you got some guy spitting blood and breathing fire on stage. It's like, well, that's yeah. kind of weird. This is like just a straight up rock and roll song. <laughs> I don't need right. the the blood and guts going on. You know,
1: that's a great point. I, every time I listen to Kiss, especially those that first era, the, the 70s era, I never I can my ears can remove it from my eyes. Like, yeah. Like they they don't sound like what no. they appear to be. You know, like, I mean, I mean, except, except for like a song like maybe God of Thunder or something like that. But like, yeah, a song like Love Her All I Can or or wow. great, certainly mm-hmm. a song like Great Expectations. I mean, you're not you're not thinking about uh, a band that, that looks as if they are like, yeah, you picture just like a rock and roll band. It doesn't even it doesn't even like the visual of it doesn't even come into play until I'm seeing them live or I'm looking at yeah. a picture of them playing live. I'd know? say
5: the same thing for Ghost because Ghost. Yeah, know, I've heard that argument know, about uh, yeah about Ghost a lot as well, um, but yeah, yeah. one of the things that I've heard quite quite a bit is is would would Kiss have ever broken um, if they didn't have the theatrics? Because when back then, when you you know look at the performance of the first three albums, as you mentioned before, was is they didn't do anything. Would they have even gotten on the map if they didn't have the big stage show and the 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 crazy costumes and uh, uh, like freaking everybody out? Uh, like they would um you know there was a whole photo series i think in the early 70s where they were just like walking through central park like uh, and they were taking pictures and they were all dressed up and they're like their full gear like they were just doing everything to freak people out and get attention so the plateau shoes yeah perfect perfect for the disco era but (laughs) but i mean the music was great but would Mm -hmm. they have ever would would they have ever gotten noticed without it and a lot of you know a lot of people had said you know you know maybe they wouldn't have um, i'd like to i'd like to dis i'd like to think well, that, that i would depends. disagree but you know who who knows you know who knows i mean i'm sure that
1: well i mean it'd be it'd be uh i think silly to dismiss the visual element of it but i would really think that if the material i i think if the material wasn't there they wouldn't have sustained themselves as oh, long yeah. as they have but i also think that it's i think that there there's there's like a a two fisted approach i think that like one begat the other and vice versa you know i think I think one helped them get to there and then one helped them make sure they stayed there. But people also have had no problems cutting their balls off when they put out stuff that mm-hmm. sucks either. So it's like, you know, like, I, I don't know. Kisses. They're a weird band on a couple different levels. You know? Yeah. I think that maybe if they didn't have that, that side of them, that was all show and bombast and, and extremity, especially for that time, maybe it wouldn't have worked out for them because they wouldn't have had an image that would maybe right. be, would have been as marketable. I mean, how how much fun would a, uh, I guess for lack of a better example, like how much fun would a, a fucking fog hat comic book <laughs> in fog hat look <laughs> been in, in like nineteen seventy seven? You know, made
5: in like, without Eddie. You know? know,
1: like you know what I'm saying? Like that that wouldn't have been as cool. You want to see? Fucking, yeah. oh, yeah. up, like, yeah. I, don't, I don't disagree yeah. at
5: all. I mean, the music, I think the music holds up. And, and to your earlier point, when you were talking about uh, Hotter Than Hell being their, you know, uh, probably their one of their heaviest early albums, that's the one that I associate with their early image. Because that's like the the first and yeah. the third album don't really sound like their visual. And everybody yeah. knocks on the production of the third album. but that's really the heaviest album. Like when I see them on the cover and I hear that music, that that's when I think of them... Like is the the demon and the the, yeah, the blood spitting right. and everything and it's and I don't think a lot enough people uh pay attention to that or give credit to that is like that was that was actually a really like good uh dark sound for them. Um although I love Dress to Kill is one of my favorite albums, but it it really when you listen to it, you're right. You don't you don't think about the image at all. You're just kinda like, what?
1: Yeah. <laughs> the, of the, the only songs. time I think of the image is on Alive and alive too. When I listen to the Uh. studio records, I I completely remove myself from. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Maybe it's just because I know when they're in the studio, they're not fucking wearing that goofy shit. They're just fucking showing up looking like us assholes, you know, just like.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Isn't the contrast effective then? You know, if the sound is that of, you know, jeans and t shirts, maybe it's nice to get that because, you know, there's been jokes about ghosts, you know, uh, the image is dark, but the music is Disney. And it's you know it's kind of on point. Uh, I like Ghost, but uh, definitely the music is you know chewing gum has the chewing gum quality. And I would say like mm-hmm. if they looked the part, uh, they wouldn't be as good. You know I like the contrast in between. It adds some kind of show element I, I think to it. And the- dichotomy
2: helps, yeah. The academy helps for sure. Yeah, I, th- I think if if Kiss never had the makeup, they would they would have been probably on par with like a Blue Oyster Cult, you know, mm-hmm. Blue Oyster mm-hmm. Cult yeah Blue oyster cult had this mystique about them. It had that weird logo with the upside down hook that was across to it and you know they had some like some s- some cult. Da-
4: occult elements you know yeah Fire yeah, of yeah they, origin they, Martin birch as well yeah
2: they, on, they dabbled on that in that they had some uh. interesting covers album covers and so I think um you know and blue oyster cult was a pretty big band I mean they they
4: uh, I like them cool. quite a bit, you know, it's a, it's a cool band, and but it stands out because they don't really have that much of, you know, a, a heavy metal frontman or anything like that. No. Uh, so no, it's no. different in that way. Uh, I wanted to ask John as well, you're, if you are you are the ambassador of KISS in, in Maidenland, what will you bring out?
5: Well, uh, Chris actually took a couple of mine. Like, I grabbed right off a of Hotter Than Hell. Like, Parasite was the first one that came to mind. So, I mean, mm-hmm. we were, like, lockstep with that one. anything off of that album like that's uh, a little bit a little bit darker i think would um appeal to uh to uh to a uh, maiden fan um i definitely think if you jump ahead to uh creatures of the night um the the title track i think uh, i think danger is another one um mm-hmm. which is uh one of my one of my absolute favorites but it's it's really like you know hard driving like uh, just high energy song I know it's a little bit off the subject, but something that you talked about with the, the Iron Maiden, uh, the live album, how the, the some of the tempos were sped up is something that you hear a lot mm-hmm. about. Kiss in the '80s when they were oh, playing yeah. some of their '70s material around the Animal Eyes and the Asylum tour, which is like they were doing like way way fast versions mm-hmm. of their of uh like some of the classic songs, and it really bothers a lot of people huh. these days because mm-hmm. like it was just too fast. The decade of nose candy. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that's the thing is that Gene and Paul are like, uh, like, uh, claimed to be like, uh, like straight edge. So, I mean, there was like, uh, I Eric, mean, that Eric, era of the band. Eric no, Carr no might drugs. not have been. Yeah, Eric yeah, Carr we, might yeah, have been. Yeah, we don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want to um, ask I, that too, actually. Sorry, finish your point first. But yeah, I think that is, um, yeah, I think that he was, uh, they had, uh, I can't remember, was an interview with uh, Bruce Kulick, who was a, guitarist in the 80s had said that gene and paul had intentionally wanted the tempos of the songs to be faster and i believe that they also tuned to standard tuning as well which is in the early days they tuned down a half step step.
1: okay i'd also heard that back in the day that that eric carr was uh kind of uh to some degree aware of or at least into like the kind of uh, emerging uh thrash or speed metal scene. I remember I seem to remember <laughs> some interview Paul Stanley said that like uh, Eric Carr was oh Metallica was on Eric Carr's radar mm-hmm. way way <laughs> early in the game. Well, not early in the game, like maybe like 84, 85 or something like that. Early so in the game, Ride yeah. the Lightning, Master Puppets. So I mean that could have had something to do with it as well too, you know.
5: Well, yeah, I hmm. mean he was a monstrous drummer in his own right, so Yeah. 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 I mean, sure. I, I would believe I would believe that because he's of that, you know, Um, I, he could easily have played uh, that that style of music, too, if he wanted.
1: Oh, sure. So maybe that maybe that was responsible for pushing some of the tempos, maybe trying to cop some of that, that energy, that aura to it, you know. And besides, mm-hmm. that was the decade of speed anyway. So everyone was trying to go fast at that point. Everyone, yeah. was, was, everyone was, was fucking yeah. Ricky Bobby in the 80s, you know. <laughs>
4: <laughs> what what i wanted to ask uh, also uh, one of my one more of my ignorant questions is like with maiden it's kind of important to follow the the members the individual members of the band you know each fan has their favorite and all of that mm-hmm. uh, what is that like with kiss uh, oh, more so uh, oh yeah ace freely i hear a lot you know ace freely seems to be a you know a favorite of many yeah uh-huh. yeah
1: he's something he's he's an interesting person
4: who who's been in
5: the band you know eric singer was in the band too right yeah yeah. yeah. Still in the band. I Still think in. it was more yeah. the the originals uh, when they first came out as you had the four distinct personalities, which is another thing that the the makeup brought to them is, is like, you know, you would have your favorites It's like, oh I'm a I'm a Gene guy or I'm a I'm an ace guy. Mean, you
4: know? Was he the demon? Or what was the, you know, his Yeah, his, Gene, you know, yeah, character. yeah. So
5: yeah, Gene was the the character was the demon and Paul the Star Child. Mm-hmm. uh peter chris the Catman, and then ace fraley the spaceman there we go spaceman that's what i would have picked mm. but i mean i feel like uh you, their whole story was is that they had created those characters from a part of the, their own personalities or themselves and when they became fully defined i think a lot of uh fans just kind of found their own you know what their own uh, kind of link to that was their own personality and identified with it it's like oh i identify with gene you know the, the the horror movie fanatic the monster the scary guy or i identify with paul the the romantic figure the the you know the glamorous one or space ace who's all out there or peter chris because i like cats or whatever <laughs> <laughs> lo- lo-
1: lo- loves, loves cats hates burritos
4: a good vocalist. <laughs> uh, am I wrong? Uh, Peter Chris is a good vocalist.
1: Yeah, he's, oh, a great, yeah, vocalist. he's great. Great vocalist. Yeah. I would like. Re- I would like to recommend another Kiss song that uh, some sure. Maiden oh, fans. Sure. I you can, you can uh, recommend oh, more, yeah. more than one. you, yeah. know, you have your spot. Uh, I don't know if everyone would agree with this, because uh, uh, <laughs> it's definitely a a record that is uh, divisive for sure. Uh, "Under the Rose" on "Music from the Elder." Um, I would imagine if you're into like heavy metal, especially if you're kind of into like the, the doomier side of heavy metal, like you know Candlemass or something like that. Um, I, I would think that uh, a song like Under the Rose could be considered like proto doom metal to some degree. It's definitely one of their heavier songs. It's definitely bombastic. I mean, it's
4: seventies uh, or eighties?
1: Eighties, uh, eighty one actually. It's yeah. um, from the
5: elder, yeah. I actually like that one. That one is good. Good pick.
1: Almost like gothic, gothic gothic doom metal, kind of proto-gothic doom metal. It's kind of laughable in some degrees because it's like when you... I think, oddly enough, out of all the records, to to kind of... uh, backtrack on what i said before when i listened to their records in the 70s i never thought about the way they looked oddly enough when i listen to a record like the elder and i hear some of the songs that they did on it all i do is think about the way they look and how they're trying to present these songs is like like it's totally offsetting like they're trying to 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 pull off a different vibe entirely as a band like I guess the best way to put it is if you see, watch the music video for a World Without Heroes, mm. goofy ass Gene Simmons with the fucking dressed up full demon costume and a fucking stupid ass tear streaming down his face. It looks yeah. so fucking ridiculous. It's laughable. <laughs> it's just, like, short hair. Like, yeah, it's ridiculous. It's so laughable, and I think that's the one. That's the one record of that first makeup era where I listen to it, and I think of like the way the sound, how it contrasts to like. Their visual because it's so ridiculous. It's Like huh. you, they were never ever going to to sell that sound with that visual no. because it's just it's so fucking laughable. Well, they changed
5: but, a little bit too because they looked <laughs> like New Wave Kiss. You know, yeah, they had on yeah, all yeah, this exactly. Thing. You exactly. know, they cut their hair and Paul had yes. on a headband, and it was it was very yes. odd. Exactly. Now,
2: no, no, if yeah. you, if you if you combined the elder look with unmasked you wouldn't have that disconnect because oh, unmasked yeah, yeah. is like a unmasked is kiss trying to be the car, is basically right absolutely. Yeah. Uh, was absolutely the
4: elder was was it very divisive like fans left uh, the band when it came oh, out yeah. To, yeah. Like
5: x, Oh, x, yeah. x factor absolutely you know, like, fans thing?
1: fans jumped off that band like it was the fucking first lifeboat <laughs> yeah. off the titanic eventually. and and in the in the, and the yeah.
2: and, <laughs> and and the fact that they didn't jump back on for creatures which oh, is yeah. an incredible album shows you just how how much the elder pissed off the fan base yeah. they couldn't even get them back with with a a, a near masterpiece album band
5: harkening uh, yeah. well, back even to tour the they didn't even tour behind um, the elder
2: they no. didn't even tour no it was so it was
1: so unsuccessful that they just immediately went right back to to making a new record but yeah Like Chris said, they people, it alienated such a a large portion of the fan base that I mean, creatures. Bands always try and go back when they fuck up now. And they never ever go back, creatively speaking, as well as as well as KISS did on Creatures. I mean, like, they they basically they came back to their fans with, like, the biggest bouquet of flowers and chocolates and I'm sorry <laughs> notes. I'm sorry. And, and seriously, like, they, they walked back to the fans with, like, the best I'm sorry, I love you ever. And fans were just like, yeah, <laughs> not having it. What a not shame. Not having it. And it's a shame because it's it's you could that's probably one of their top five records, you could say.
4: Yeah, uh, the Elder since became like a cult record or something. You know, like the the fans dig into it as a deep cut, uh, like the oh, X yeah. Factor with Maiden. You know, something like that. Like, uh, mm-hmm. oh, it's actually pretty good. Uh, you know, we we've been neglecting this one. Or you know. yeah,
5: there there are some there are some Elder fans out there as you as you pointed out, Greg. Oh. It's, uh, mm-hmm. there there are some decent songs on there. Are you a fan? Yeah. yeah.
2: Don't admit this publicly,
5: <laughs> John. <laughs> <laughs> Lie about it. <laughs> I mean uh, there's there's that uh there's there's always that saying it's a it's not a it's not a bad album it's a bad kiss album. I mean there are some mm-hmm. decent cuts on there. I would say as an overall kiss album it's like I don't listen to it a lot but I mean I wouldn't say it's um, um uh, th- there are some things on there that are pretty laughable like uh you, you know you it opens up with a fanfare and you're just kind of oh, like yeah. what, what what is this? like kiss with flutes, and you know, it's like, all right.
1: I cannot help but listen, oh, it's, yeah.
5: But I mean, you know, you figure they they did that kind of stuff, like if you hear the orchestral stuff, they did on the Destroyer too, but I mean, it was to a much different effect.
4: How does it stack up to Psycho Circus? Psycho Circus or Elder?
2: Well, ugh, uh, neither. <laughs> yeah. So you, you
1: could argue. You can argue the Elder is more of a kiss album. Than Psycho Circus is just because of all the guest ghost musicians and ghost writers Uh or whatever because
5: actual Kiss played on the (laughs) yeah Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. the members at the time actually played on that
2: Psycho Circus is a it is an abomination (laughs) it it was they 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 were hoodwinking the public oh for sure that's simple
5: I mean a couple couple of good tracks
2: but It, it was disingenuous I mean they 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 heralded it as this. As the big, the big reunion of the original lineup, and Ace and Peter played on what one or two tracks each, and the
1: rest. Yeah, the, yeah, if the entire original band I think only played on one or two songs. Yeah, yeah, I think,
4: yeah. Yep. Well, that sets them apart from heavy metal in general in a way that is, I guess, I would say, interesting to me. You know, using ghostwriters, using using studio musicians, all of that is very rare in, in, in the genre of hard rock. I guess, at least to my knowledge, you know.
2: Eh, not necessarily i mean i think like the uh that whole like uh you know 80s uh glam metal and stuff you know there was oh, yeah. a lot of uh a mm-hmm. lot of uh um you know guest songwriters uh yeah you know, ringer musicians brought in you know that's mm-hmm. one of the one of the things we joke about all the time about the the, the rat behind the music where they're interviewing Juan Cruchet. And he's talking insane? about Yeah, he's talking about Bo Hill. You know, <laughs> Warren D. Martini, one of the top guitarists of the era. Great name. Yeah, Bo Hill <laughs> is in there to put out some product for the record company. I don't care who it is, if he's not cutting it he's going to bring in the studio guy who can walk in, nail the part and leave in, in about 45 minutes and you know, that, that stuff went on all the time. You don't know who played on the albums, and mm-hmm. you don't know who wrote this. I mean, they'll, they, they'll put the songwriters on because that's how people get paid. But, uh, you know, unless you're really looking for it, like with Psycho Circus, you, you take them at their word that it's the reunion of the original lineup, and then you listen to it. It's like, this is an ace freely playing this solo. Oh, come
1: on. <laughs> that's you bullshit. Know yeah, you you can right, you can right. hear it. You can hear it. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, uh, I, using Ghost yeah.
4: Riders, I don't hold anything against that to be honest. I I think it you know, interesting in a sense. Even maiden in, in the early days, there were a lot of like uh, ghost written songs by members <laughs> well, past, you know, the, the 70s well, yeah, members. Oh yeah, well that's, 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 that's yeah.
1: entirely different. That's just
4: Yeah. yeah. That's just never uh, credited. Never created yeah, right. like Steel they, Harris, you know.
1: Yeah. Well, at least at least the people that wrote those songs were in the band at they some point they were in the band that's they were true. in the band right. at some point point. and steve harris when the they either quit or he kicked them out and he was like well here's here's a hundred dollars we're gonna we're gonna own this now you know or yeah, no, i think he was, bought sanctuary you
4: know? for 300 pounds or something like that and then just to rub it
5: in they keep playing it i
1: bet you you can't buy sanctuary for that now oh no
4: <laughs> probably not
5: but i think we're we're more talking about like if they made a uh, if they made a reunion album with the the original guys from Iron Maiden and then they were just like oh and uh, Steve Harris played bass and he didn't play bass at all <laughs> they just brought somebody else in and said he played bass that's what happened with right. Psycho Circus oh yeah for sure that'd be very
4: foreign uh, but i know that you play as well john when you started playing uh, when i started playing i wanted to be something like Adrian Smith or something like that but yeah. he didn't have makeup on. I didn't have to do that when you started playing. Were you imagining yourself wearing makeup and you know doing the whole thing or?
5: Uh, no, not really. I mean, I was. I was just more into the uh, into the creative side of it. Like I just enjoyed playing and try, you know trying to figure out like how my my favorite players, my idols, were playing. Uh, I, I mean, Ace Fraley was my. Uh, My favorite guitar player, I tried to emulate him the most because, you know, he, he did the coolest stuff and it was the easiest for me to figure out, too. He has a good solo style. His, his yeah. tone
4: is, is pretty cool. I think it's mm-hmm. you know aggressive enough, aggressive enough, and uh, uh, you know harkens back to some of the old school rock and roll, but still goes forward. I think pretty good guitarist yeah. actually. Very yeah, identifiable. I mean, it was
5: between between him and Randy Rhodes. Like uh, who's who am I who am I gonna <laughs> who am I gonna feasibly be that's, able to play more like well, not not that's, Randy? That's quite <laughs> Randy a leap. an uphill that's battle. Quite that's quite a, a an
4: uphill battle. Kind of like Eddie Van Halen battle, you know?
5: Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's not like it's impossible, but that's never been my strong suit so being a player more like um more like in the aces style the kind of heavy blues rock uh type of thing has been more my wheelhouse so uh but i uh i never imagined myself being like more theatrical like oh i'm gonna paint my face and everything but like um Uh you know i had the the uh the the big hair and everything like that but it's about just like everybody else
4: Uh, Since we're Swedish, uh, we have the whole, you know, pretty much a stronghold in the extreme metal scene. And that's also a tie into Kiss, you know, in the corpse paint. That must have Mm. been, definitely must have been inspired by Kiss. Well,
1: look at Immortal. Immortal is... Abbott, I mean, his whole persona is very, very Kiss, and specifically Gene Simmons. Like, even his mannerisms, even if you look at those old, goofy, immortal videos from the 90s, you know, like, they are just throwing all sorts of kiss shapes, so to speak, in these videos. I mean, it's just different music, different soundscapes, but the visuals is basically the same, you know?
4: Yeah, and he likes to quote um, Diamond Dave.
1: Oh, Abbott? Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, because he's he's the quote master. The
4: the Christ figure. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) My biggest revelation (laughs) of 2021, Diamond Dave was five steps ahead of us all the time
1: he was playing four-dimensional chess with the english language and a lot of us are still trying to figure that out but you know it's all it's all there you know he's a he's a wizard he's a wizard of the uh wizard of the word i'm
6: ready ready as anybody can be I'm ready for you. I hope you're ready for me. Originally, what we were going to do is we were going to turn all the equipment around backwards and show our behind to the audience. And that way, everybody be backstage. (laughs) (laughs) Dave Robb, trapped in a desperate struggle against time. Will he be able to take the stage armed with nothing but a microphone and the will to survive?
4: Uh, As we're reaching the two hour mark here, uh, you know, last uh, opportunity, I guess. Just uh, give it a, give it your your heartfelt speech. Why are Kiss uh, like uh, one of the best bands ever to you?
2: Uh, I guess I'll go first. Um, I just you know I'll just reiterate what I said. Is uh, you know I would say start in the seventies era. Try to imagine you're listening to a, a Blue Oyster Cult or a band uh, you know T-shirt, leather jacket, jeans. And just focus in on the music. And, uh, yeah, I think you'll find some stuff you like. And then, uh, you know, depending on, uh, you know, like we talked about, if you're you're into the heavier stuff, I would recommend Hotter Than Hell. Uh, If you're into the faster up-tempo stuff, check out Lick It Up Um, and Creatures. And um, I think between those three albums, you know, it's, uh, you know, you should be able to find something you like and something you can relate to. And, um, you know, just try and put aside the preconceptions and, and you know, sort of listen to the song craft and, and key in on some of the musical performances. And I think you'll find that they were better players and songwriters than a lot of people give them credit for.
4: Nice and succinct. John, what do you think? It's your favorite band, right? Of all time.
5: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, um, I've been into them for as long as I can remember. So they're my they're my number one guys. So um, I think that um, um, despite all the the ups and downs uh, that they've had, I think just like Iron Maiden fans, like uh, uh, Kiss fans, are really passionate fan base. So I feel like an Iron Maiden fan would be uh, would if somebody really. Can latch on to something that they like in Kiss, then they would be as passionate about Kiss as they are um, as Maiden. You know, even though the the music isn't um, it, like the the subject matter is like the complete opposite. Um, uh, the, <laughs> right, the technical right. the technical playing could be the complete opposite. So you could argue that the '80s they uh, they definitely they got arguably better because um, you know they had some great musicians in and out of the band. Um, you know, after the the original four, you know, there were a lot more technical. I think, like Chris said, if you give um, some of the some of the songs uh, and the the albums a chance, uh, I recommend the ones that that he listed as well. Um, you know, they'd be surprised. Um, and I right. think that um, you know, there's also a great variety to to Kiss as well, which I I don't know if that would appeal to Iron Maiden fans, but I think as music fans, it would because you go to any era of Kiss and uh, you feel like listening to, you know, the early '70s you know, uh, jeans and t-shirt stuff, like we were calling it, and you listen to the 70s stuff. You want to hear the kind of uh, poppier stuff, you listen to Unmasked. You want to hear the more technical stuff, listen to the 80s. You want to hear a weird concept album, listen to The Elder. You want to, you know what I mean? You could just, you can jump around and get so many different styles of music from from KISS. It's uh, it's really, they they kept things interesting.
4: Basically, it sounds like a story, you know, like a story arc, which is always enjoyable when you look into a band, I guess.
5: Absolutely. I feel like a Maiden fan would uh, enjoy that. Mm-hmm.
4: What's hard with Maiden is that I got in at twelve, right? It's hard to tell like a thirty-two-year-old to get into Maiden <laughs> because I don't know how you do that when you're, you know, already like a, a full age. And maybe it's mm-hmm. something similar with Kiss, then. But you know, it's ne- it's never too late, really.
1: Like you said, it, it's maybe tougher to uh, to sell an artist um, with the back catalog or with an existence as long as as Kiss has has been around for to someone who's maybe a little bit older, but all I could do is really recommend it from a perspective that I that I discovered KISS into Maiden. Because, uh, KISS was probably the last breed of rock and roll before I kind of uh, teetered into heavier metal or heavier music, I guess. And so uh, the, the, uh, the, the, the kind of music that, that KISS wrote, which, when I got into them, it would have been just primarily the '70s stuff. Um, it, to me, it lends itself as a very logical step prior to the, the Iron Maiden era yeah. of music. We'll say, you know, if you listen to stuff like, you know, if I can't say it better, I'll just repeat what other people said. So, <laughs> you know, like stuff like "Hotter Than Hell." Um, if you listen to stuff like that, you can you could find connective tissue to what would kind of become later on heavier music like Iron Maiden you can listen to music albums like Destroyer and you know stuff like that you can hear you know two guitar obviously there's harmony guitars on yeah, there all like all the right? which lends itself to it's yeah part which of the lends sound. itself to Iron Maiden yeah. yeah uh the Bob Ezrin stuff is definitely a lot more more grandiosely produced and uh baby bigger in scope which lends itself more to some of the Maiden stuff obviously um I think it's it's perfectly logical to go from stuff like Kiss into Maiden. And I think if you're into Maiden and you maybe you're younger and you maybe started like maybe with heavy metal, I think if you're interested in maybe, you know, backtracking to seeing what maybe came before, I think KISS is a great step backwards for Maiden as well too, because you will be able to find that connective tissue.
4: Uh, even musically sometimes. i mentioned uh, Detroit Rock City, Running Free. I, I feel there's a similarity mm-hmm. going on there. Oh,
3: definitely.
1: One was going down and at the same time one was coming up. I mean, they, they the eras of music that they represented crested and cascaded at the same time. 1980, Maiden was coming up and Kiss was really just kind of holding on at that point. Right. You know, they were they were really they were torch passers and torch takers, both bands. Yeah, passing
4: of the torch. I don't yeah. know. There's no yeah. new bands to do this now, though. Maybe we mentioned Ghost, but that's that's different. Ghost. You
1: know? I think Ghost is probably the only one. Well, maybe I shouldn't even say the only one. But as far as taking grandiose rock music or pseudo metal or whatever you want to call it, I think they're the band that probably has the best crack at maybe transcending is the wrong word but because i don't i just don't think bands i don't think the business lends itself to bands being that big ever again mm. I, don't, I mean so, right? i shouldn't say it ever again so, right? shouldn't yeah you see it would seem so but you should never say never because there's always going to be someone at some point that kind of finds a way to break through you know the improbable mm. you know just because that's just the nature of rock and roll you know, but I, I would think that if there was one band that really had the opportunity or would have maybe the best optics of being that band, probably be Ghost,
4: something like that. Um, at the end of the episodes, yeah, um, we normally do something we call rotation, uh, which is like what we've been listening to lately, just to put some context into, you know, into the the, the overall banter. And on my screen, Chris is first, so what you've been playing <laughs> lately?
2: Um, you know, I, I'm not gonna you know shed any new light on any new bands i i've been definitely lax about that but i say the newer band that uh i've liked for a while that i just haven't heard anybody that i like better in the past five or ten years has Mm. got to be rival sons
4: Mm. i've seen them live yeah good live band
2: the singer is incredible uh the songs are great um they're, the recordings are good, you know. They, they just got a great, great drum sounds on their album, which are important to me. Even though I, I'm, you know, drummers are, I won't go on that tangent. But you know, uh, it's, it's a cool know. instrument
4: though. It's my favorite instrument. Is drums? Well, and,
2: and the th- <laughs> the thing about it is that you, everybody must accept the truth that if if your drummer sucks, your band's your band sucks. I mean, yeah. So, but. Drummers are subhumans, are psychopaths. <laughs> they, they hit things for a living. What do you expect?
4: Oh, <laughs> so. You have any particular any particular track off of uh, Rival songs? Uh,
2: you know what I would say off their most recent album. Um, Too bad is the name of the song. The performance is great, and the, the, the f- his final uh, vocal portion of the song will, as Greg said, will give you uh, uh, arm hair erections. And if it doesn't, uh, you might want to check your pulse.
4: We go by new guests first. Um, so, John, what what's been playing lately?
5: I'm um, another one not really um, for newer newer music as much. So, I'm usually listening to you know my back catalog of stuff. But um, I was recently on um, on another podcast. Uh, we were talking specifically about the uh, Black Sabbath album uh, Born Again. Yeah. and um, so that one. one that one has been in heavy rotation since then because you know I made uh, a fortune uh,
4: on computers
5: <laughs> <laughs> we, we were we were talking about it and I was revisiting it because of course you have the Deep Purple connection because Ian Gillen was yep. in the band and um, it was just a it's a really uh, interesting album to talk about um, because Uh, sonically it's um it's very uh it's another it's another album just like hotter than hell by kiss which is you know uh usually the biggest uh discussion about that one is how the the sonics were just really murky but there's just something about it that makes it um just really uh just dark and interesting and uh just a really unique uh and heavy album uh for them even if sometimes the the tones can be really shrill um It's it's really disturbing. um, The
4: priest. That's a good song. I
5: like that
4: one. Weird title. That
1: that first riff. That's a top five Iommi riff, and it's so underrated. That's so heavy and evil sounding. Oh, it's so fucking crushing. I mean, that's that's definitely a top
5: one. But my um, my uh, my most played off of that one, I would say this week is um, Hotline. Because it's uh it's it's just got a killer groove to it and uh just like so I just like crank it up in the car and almost blew out my speakers this week, so
2: Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah, dude. <laughs> yeah, that's, it's that's like
5: uh arguably one of Ian Gillen's like most insane vocal performances of his career. I don't think I've heard him so <laughs> oh, yeah. that much in one song. You
1: could argue that on that record he really he kind of it was like the last gasp for the for the for his screech. Yeah, I don't know if he ever really got to those Nope. That screechiness, like really ever again. I think after that, he was probably—I don't, don't want to say killed his voice, but. I think that was probably the end of the line as far as him going well off the fucking well, rails. If he did it, and he went
5: he went out in a blaze because that was yeah, a hell of an album. Yeah, There's
2: definitely rails on that record for sure. Yeah, that, that, was, that was the second time through when he goes, "Will you throw me a line?" That just goes in that. Oh. <laughs> it's like you you can't you can't not listen to that, and not like raise your arm up and do <laughs> yeah. that. You know, oh, do right, the whole. Right. Thing, what? yes right. it's ins- it's since yeah. the vocals are insane on that <laughs> one great
5: call oh it's almost operatic in a in a way so right oh, yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. absolutely and i
4: would say you get used to the mix our friend nathan uh from your co-host he yeah. said that the cymbals sound like a cupboard of uh, cutlery you know
5: yeah. opening and
4: closing. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but yes, you somehow you just- <laughs> it adds
5: character you know you get used to it i think yeah but i mean it no, it is you're it- right it is it is really exciting though despite that to hear that Tony Iommi um allegedly has found the master tapes like in 2021 yeah. and is like considering a remixing. I don't know why he's considering just do it, you know. I'd love to hear what he's right? I'd love to hear a side by side.
1: I think that there's issues I think I think that there's I've heard I don't know if the, how true this is, but I've heard that anything Black Sabbath related that doesn't involve Ozzy is like is is a is an issue with Sharon Osbourne, yeah. who I believe owns the name Black Sabbath
4: at this point. Oh boy, yeah, it's yeah. a mess.
1: Anything that yeah, anything that doesn't involve Ozzy era Black Sabbath is is kind of is it's a bureaucratic mess of
2: red tape to well, then- to get out there do what they did when Dio came back, uh, you know, call it uh, Digital Bitch or <laughs> digital something. Bitch. <laughs> Just change the name and put it right, out. Yeah, you know? oh, there you go. Yeah. Uh,
4: that, yeah, That song has become a Made in Agency staple because Eric is fond of the line, made a fortune on computers. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I, I like a good it kind of reminds me of like old like tv theme songs where they'd sort of <laughs> sing the plot of the fucking right song, or they try to shoehorn in the the title of the song and the vocal melody, like for the there's an old uh show called land of the lost and they'd have that where they try to you know like on routine expedition <laughs> kind of yeah i remember that
4: yeah <laughs> routine expedition mm-hmm. yeah uh what's been playing eric
3: Oh, the land of the lost state. Number. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it was the last week you and me uh, saw tool. So, yep. sort of, yep. not kn- together. Separate, the, the, the yes. uh, so, I've been a lot of tool spinning, lateralis mainly. Um, I'm sure there's been other things, and I'm sure I, sh- I probably should have written some of it down. I, 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 I've been up for about 24 hours at this point, besides my little nap, so I don't remember, but I'm sure I've listened to something else. Yep. Uh, that's been great. <laughs>
4: Uh, For me I got into Fastway Uh, They were under my radar uh, Beyond my radar for some Mm. some reason Uh, A song called Say What You Will Mm. Fuck yeah Killer track, um, and then a little bit of Montrose has been on as well. Mm. Um, Space Station Five that would be, and also uh, Razor's Edge, uh, ACDC, dc uh, I think that's all. Cool. It's a killer album. It's a lot of dynamics for being. It's sort of a loud album, you know, nineties loud, mm-hmm. but still it's like a display in, in dynamics. I think, and you know, the the rhythm guitar from uh, from uh, Malcolm is is, uh, is inspiring. I would say.
2: You know? yeah. yeah. Always is. Malcolm Young is always ex- inspiring. Uh, he's another one amazing that amazing uh, guitar player. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's I just can't uh, can't it can't abide Stevie in the band. Just it, it, visually, it doesn't work for me. Not um, the same. It's not. So uh, you know, whatever. I'm gonna be that guy. <laughs> is it a plus that his family
4: <laughs> does that add anything to it? That he's a young it,
2: no. I mean, it, it's it's. It, Malcolm is as iconic as Angus. You just can't replace somebody like that. I don't care who it is. And just I, I can't abide it. It just I, I, my, my sense, my cultural ignorance won't allow it. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I, I hope you keep that one. I'm happy about it. Oh, it's it'll it'll it won't be on this Monday's episode because we already recorded it, but expect it uh, on the next right. one. In every episode afterwards. <laughs> awesome, <laughs>
4: awesome. <laughs> so a uh, big thanks to all of you for uh, doing this. This is like an experiment for us because it's completely outside of what we normally do. And mm. I've been looking forward mm. to do it. And I think we we found the right guys to to you know start it out and uh, probably the right band too. You know, you, why not start big?
2: Yeah. yeah. And If you realize nobody listened to the episode, you won't do it again. And so it's <laughs> fine. Yeah? Yeah. The only way you're gonna find out is to put this out. Nothing much, ventured,
1: yeah. nothing gained. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Go. Yeah, exactly.
3: There's ice in the hallway, or whatever the fuck the guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
4: Well, what was that? Ice in the hallway. Yeah. Saw him in the, yeah. So yeah, yeah, in the
6: hallway, of the hotel, getting ice. <laughs> <laughs>
4: A big thanks to you guys. Uh, very fun for me to do a, a, a very American episode as well. I enjoyed it.
6: Hell
2: yeah, brother. <laughs> yeah, you guys, are, you guys are all right. USA, USA, <laughs> USA, USA. <laughs> cultural ignorance.
5: <laughs> yeah, right. Hulkamania. <laughs> yes, yeah, Hulkamania.
1: We are the oasis of cultural ignorance. <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> The irons and Skull from the North.
6: The rest of the guys wanted to stay in Chicago. I said, check me into the Canterbury Hotel around the corner. That's where I'm staying. Matter of fact, I saw some of you people in the hallway getting ice.
2: Yep, as we get closer to the dirt nap, you know, our, uh, our time becomes more valuable. So, yeah. <laughs> I don't need another out of the blue moment in my life. I don't, I don't think I, my heart can take it.
4: Right. Yeah, uh, I, I appreciate the the morbid uh, input there. I'm half Finnish, and we like that stuff. You know, we like talking good. about. <laughs> Some people, in why. The,
2: people in this country can't handle it? So. Yeah,
4: exactly. It's all hidden. It's all under wraps. Right? Hello. Hello. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yes. Oh, I'm good, gonna, gonna get another beverage. I'll be right back. So yeah, uh, Chris, this is Eric, my co-host. Hey man, How nice to do, meet you, Sir.
2: Nice to see you. Thanks for staying up so late. Well, I took uh, I had a bit of a nap, so I'm good to go.
4: I'm
2: Now you guys know kind of what it's like when we record with Jericho after one of his uh, wrestling or band events in town. We uh, yeah. start uh-huh. recording about one in the morning and...
4: Right, sun's
2: yeah. coming up when we're done. So,
4: one of the first episodes I played back uh, was uh, where Eagles there when he fell asleep.
2: <laughs> yeah, the the, uh, the the Where Eagles Dare episode.
4: Yeah, you guys don't edit, so it was all in there. Like,
2: yeah, uh, where, where is he? Where is he? <laughs> yeah, he he had he had a long night, that night. We did an episode of his show, and then we did two episodes of ours after a full wrestling event. So,
4: right yeah I've noticed yeah. like we we do multiple sometimes, but I've noticed if it's more than more than two the uh, the quality would go sort of yeah. straight down, so
2: yeah, yeah, we used to do that early on. we'd try to knock out two, three episodes in a session, and we found the same thing that we kind of run out of gas after
4: after two,
2: and so now we just do one a week.
4: It's almost self- deceptive to think that you would save time because it still takes as much time, you know
2: it does yeah
3: well back back early days when I was sort of just uh, had only been potting for a couple of years uh, I, I did a sort of movie kind of podcast with a friend of mine who didn't live in in the same town, so whenever he was in town, we just tried to so uh, you know bang out like six in a night, and like the first two were great, and then they kind of. You know, they like went real south. Like last one, the energy level was, was so low in the last couple of Also, we were we were drinking during the,
4: during the whole,
2: uh, right. whole thing.
4: Right. <laughs> so. Did you give up drinking, Chris?
2: Uh yeah, it's been a while. I, I used up my uh, lifetime allotment of drugs and alcohol. Uh, yeah, that's what I've gathered
4: past, from so. gathered from the show. Yeah,
2: yeah, I front loaded my my life with my maximum uh, quantity, so I was cut <laughs> off by the universe. Everybody's better off for it. So,
4: have you meddled with uh, extreme metal, Chris, or are you all into the more classic rock?
2: Uh, yeah, I'm not a super metal head, but i you know i have uh, dabbled in some metal i will say that uh i probably the most extreme stuff i've really delved into is like bathory that type of stuff oh, wow great, Matt, that, great that's the
1: that's the national uh, anthem Sweetie of shop. Sweden yes yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know
2: i was i was at a friend's place in college and he put on a bathory album and yes looking back on it it was a coincidence but the the whole the room and the sky immediately got darker as soon as he put <laughs> <That's me. cool. laughs> of course we were inebriated i'm like oh my god this music is changing uh, the weather so i investigated further and you know i, I just I, I find that guy Corathon pretty fascinating just the yeah. whole story yeah, very well.
4: much so very much so like uh definitely a character and you know? stands out even in that already sort of weird uh, you know
1: yeah per- perpetual mystery there's there's yeah. only questions with him it seems like there was yeah, never yeah. there was no answers there was only questions and now he's dead so he, he's buried pretty close to where you live uh jonathan
4: isn't he yeah the the yeah. forest cemetery you no, know that, he
1: that, lives, that lives in the, in the legal oh,
3: i mean the, the opposite i guess but isn't sansbury chicardum which is uh, uh,
4: yeah yeah forest cemetery i guess uh, there's two several one. ones Okay, what's the what's the English name for that one again? Uh, Woodland, Woodland, Woodland Cemetery.
3: Woodland I Cemetery, and uh, yeah. I, I guess the other one, essentially, if you translated it directly, would be the Sandcastle Cemetery. <laughs> essentially, <laughs> Sandcastle.
4: Uh, where are you at, uh, Chris uh, Hammond? Or
2: yeah, which is basically uh its in Indiana, but it's, uh, it's basically a suburb of Chicago.
4: The only reason I know it is because of uh, the clip, uh, whatever it says. <laughs> Hello,
0: Hammond.
2: Yeah right. right. Well, they they played uh, around here uh, very pretty frequently in their early days. Actually, they played here a few times in during the non-makeup year also. Well, with Kiss. I
1: mean, I, I know. I mean, they're they're world but I mean, are, were they a big deal I mean, in Sweden too?
4: I mean, are they big oh, yeah, yeah. shit over there huge, there? huge. We got like uh, I think it four or five uh, podcasts on Kiss in Swedish or something like that. Wow. We, you know, huge. huge there's one Swedish uh, Our Maiden podcast, uh, uh, you know, in Swedish.
1: How, how do you say uh, I was in the hallway
4: getting ice in Swedish? Jag var i hallen och is. Why? I don't get it.
2: It's, it's a uh, it's a bit of Paul Stanley stage banter that
4: we talk about all the time on the show. <laughs> Already learning. I yeah. saw him
1: in the hallway. Yeah. the hotel getting ice
2: <laughs> actually somebody found that uh, actual clip i was to send it to you. he andy sent it out to me nick and jericho somebody actually found it in a bootleg <laughs> the actual clip so. that's great my
1: favorite paul stanley rap ever is on a live one and it was a, it was a joke that i even had with my friends in high school even we were kids and we realized how inane of a stage rap, it was when before cold gin. He says,
6: "I was talking to someone backstage before,
1: and they said there's a lot of you people out there that like to drink vodka and orange juice." <laughs> and we're just like, even at like 14 years old, we were like, "Is that a conversation that adults have? Like that just seems so like who, who fucking? How does that's just hey hey someone just randomly sitting back there? Hey Paul, before you go out, just to know, big vodka and orange juice crowd." <laughs> yeah, like,